0: The Yeshiva.net.
1: Okay, tonight is going to be a, an unbelievable, amazing program. Thank you for joining us. Tonight is Shear number 83 with Coach Menachem the Let's Get Real Shear every Sunday night here. And I want to thank everybody first for every week coming. And, you know, the, pl- the platform is obviously exploding. Thank you to all the viewers for posting on the WhatsApp and statuses and telling people and, and, uh, and friends about it. You know, it's a tremendous, tremendous chizik for everybody and people. Every After every year, we get so much feedback. It's unbelievable, Baruch Hashem. We're very happy about it, so keep posting it and letting people know about it. Even if not every share is for you, definitely somebody can gain from every share. Um, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp groups that I send out the uh, flyers on Sundays, please WhatsApp me at 848 525 0066. Again, that's 848 525 0066. Save my number, and every Sunday I'll uh, WhatsApp you the flyers, send it around, it'll be amazing. Um, for all the people that are watching the replay of this on YouTube, please click on the like button and subscribe button. Okay, let's start first with uh, thanking all the advertising sponsors this week with Chris Yishkoiach to the Lakewood Scoop for promoting us here on Lakewood. It's also streaming live on the Lakewood Scoop, so people on the channel are going to reach a thousand shortly. You can watch it there. It's going to be on, it's on the yeshiva.net. Anybody wants to watch it, you can go there and watch it as well. Special thank you to Robbie and Yaniv from Chazak for promoting us on the Chazak platform. Special thank you to Kyle Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCM for promoting us. Special thank you this week to Mika Sofa from COL Live for posting it on COL. We really appreciate it. Um, and the Coach Menachem Show is also collaborating now with OK Clarity to bring greater health and wellness to the Jewish community around the globe. OK Clarity is the online platform for mental health support the Jewish community. OKClarity.com, you'll find the best therapists, coaches, nutritionists, engagement forums, and stay inspired. Links will be emailed after the show. Thank you very much. Again, for everybody here for the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 on the Zoom ID we have an unbelievable sheer, rabbonin, therapists, the best of the best. And uh, so please let everybody know it's every Sunday night at 930. Okay. He says the yeshiva.net is not working. Somebody went to check it. I'm just, check. Yeah, so just double check it. It is working. Next Sunday, December 26th, we're going to have another amazing share. It's going to be with Rabbi Gil, Spiro and Dr. Eli Shapiro discussing are we really good parents? So I think it's uh, it's going to be a little bit of a tetzel of this one. Knowing if we're really good parents, how to create a close relationship with our children it should be a deep and meaningful program. If you know anybody it could be helpful for it. anybody who's a parent, could be helpful for it. so join, be part of it. And tonight, we have the schuss of having our big home run. I'm going to call them the presidents of the Let's Get Real program, Rabbi Yawai Jacobson, who uh, I don't know how many times has been on the shear, but many, many times Baruch Hashem. Um, he's basically he sits on the board of advisories, he's uh, he's He's a, he he really every time he comes in we hit it out of the park. Some of the best shiurim have been here, right? Why? Why? Yes or no?
2: Indeed, indeed,
1: indeed. So, Baruch for him coming, and tonight we're bringing a special guest from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Shum Russell, who's also been you know phenomenal. Every time he's came on, we've had sold sold out crowd. So we figured, you know, we might as well uh, bring the the two home run hitters and see what happens. We'll see what happens to Zoom. So tonight it's going to be an amazing program. Rabbi Russell's not here yet. It's right now by him, I think, like four o'clock in the morning. So he said as soon as he wakes up and he watches the TLC we he will join, so give him some time. But Rebbe Waiwai will open it up and get the discussion going tonight. We're going to get the Ilan Varn, This a big topic tonight. I think we're going to finish before 2.30, we said. That's that's what we made up. Rebbe Waiwai has a chassidah on the net at 2.30 a.m. So we have to finish by then. And let's start off with opening words of Coach Menachem. Open it up for the Thank
3: you very much. Welcome everyone to Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem, episode number 83, Bar Hashem. And the truth is, um, just seeing the feedback and being being on this for every Sunday night, it's a, it's a real honor, Bar Hashem, to, to have this host, to be able to bring the awareness every week, different things, to call Israel, to, to get closer to, to our tachlis, to Hashem, and especially tonight, tonight's topic is, is a heavy one. Just tell somebody struggling teens and everyone is here. Uh, it, it's, it, there's a big spectrum um, talking about struggling teens. Some parents feel even basic, you know, the kid is in yeshiva, everything is fine, they're just worried. Or you can have all the way to the other side, not sure, uh, where it re- really, really hits you. And um, everybody needs their physic, their ideas, and uh, their awareness what to do. And, Baruch Hashem, tonight we have with us Rabbi Jacobson and Rabbi Russell who, who deal with these things in, day in, day out. And we have this chus, and it's a more difficult for them to be here. I speak many times to Mechanchem, um, to and there would be that Rebbe, uh, he's professional, he's experienced. He would tell me that after two days, he sees already... He gets a picture of his class. He could tell already who's what, who's who. He, he, he hops it after two days. And I, I listen to him and I say, "Mamish, Shmordik, I have to have a lot of experience, but I, but I need I need you to take it a little bit weiter. I need you to take it to the next step. It's not enough that you understand your class, that you understand each kid's what the kid needs. The next step is that the kids should feel that my Rebbe understands me. Because many, many times the adults, the parents, the rebbe's they understand the kids and they're doing the right thing. But the kid is not there. He's not listening anymore. It's a disconnect. If the child doesn't feel that the adult understands him, then when you come with your ideas, you're not sure if the kid is there. So it's it's not easy. Avada rather to be experienced to understand what the kid needs is number one. But to take it to the next step, that the child should feel my ready understands me. Or my parent, my mother, my father understands me. That takes a lot of a lot of kliches, whether it's listening, um, acceptance, and it's not enough to just be quiet and it should look like we accept because they feel it. It's a vibe. It's a feeling. If inside you're thinking to yourself, you're so mad, you're so angry, th- they feel it. So that that takes a lot of koyach uh, and um, especially parents when they're emotionally involved. And uh, it could be mechanachim also, rabbis also, when they're emotionally involved, they could try to put on their face as if they're listening and accepting. But inside, if they could just shake up this child. So, it, it does take time. And tonight, the any question, please send them in. Tonight is the time so we can ask whatever is on your mind. And hopefully, we'll be able to have a lot, a lot of siyatta dishmaya and at the That whatever is needed, we should be able to take. So, we should be able to be our kids and ourselves to be able to deal with whatever the challenge is, whatever the struggle is, to feel understood. So that we can go to the next level and be mechanech in the right way. Shkoyach.
1: beautiful, beautiful opening. Um, okay, let's get into it. We'll give a little overview tonight, Rabbi Yai what we want to do, and then we're going to jump into it. Okay? Perfect. Okay. So again, I'm going to do tonight's share. I want to give a little background on why we're doing tonight's share. I'm playing from my personal view, and then Rabbi Yai can clarify. Um, There's going to be a big event by like Keshe Abshi. It's a big organization that I am part of. We go to the Shabbatonim. And uh, it's it's an organization for people that have struggling teams. They go there for Shabbosim. And it's very hard to be Mazda. Maybe Rabbi is better with words than me. It can be a little bit more Mazda, what it is, and, and, and the chizik. And I can only tell you from person that goes and is part of it, that it's 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 a life-changing Shabbos on so many levels. Uh, I told a lot of my friends to come. I spoke about on the that Everybody does that come. I don't use the word addicted, but it comes every single time and it's mamash they they look forward to it. It helps them, gives them khizah, gives them a big hadrocha, tremendous thing. So I felt this year, this coming up year, it's gonna be New Year's weekend. I will not be able to attend. So I felt like if you know if you can't go to Nafsh, you bring Kashnafshi to you. <laughs> so I figured let's make a shear. It's, it's not so much Kashinafshi, it's more to talk about with the whole Indian, but I feel in this kus, that's I'm making chasam during that time, so I won't be able to come. So the this with the thousands of thousands of people in from the year. And to help so many people in Kala Yisrael, it should be a schuss for the Chassan and should have tremendous nachas and bizunt. and all these styles the of should be, should be for them. So that's that's why we're doing it. And Rabbi, why would like you to open up? Before we open it maybe we talk about Kesha a little bit, just to explain what it is, and then let's get into the into the Indian tonight.
2: Yeah. Okay, first of all, thank you so, so much, my dear, beloved friends, Reb Asher Parnas and Coach Menachem. And the entire family already of, uh, let's get real, an entire family that's real, <laughs> thousands of Jews. I don't know how many times I have had the privilege of being on this uh, extraordinary Sunday evening. I don't want to call it a show. What is it? A Sunday evening? Uh, Fabrengen? Ah?
3: Uh,
2: huh? <laughs> So it's really, again, a thrilling privilege and opportunity to be here with you guys and to be here with, I see, almost close to a thousand people right here on the Zoom and on the, the yeshiva.net and all of the other platforms where you're on. So welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. So let me begin with uh, a following observation. I said this in Shul a few days ago. It's, it's startling when you think about it, literally startling. Rashi asks a big question. And his question is, as simple as it is profound. If your child has committed a grave, grave error, a real big haver, a serious sin, there's a mitzvah to educate your child. There's a mitzvah for every Jew. As the Rambam discusses at length in Hilchez Dei it's a mitzvah to, to talk to somebody, to confront mistakes, to confront Wrongdoings, not to be tolerant of of negativity, of behavior that is immoral, unethical, against the will of Hashem. When do you talk about it? You talk about it after it happened. So Rashi asks a question: Ruuvein committed something that certainly, relative to his level, was inappropriate. The Pasik says in Vaishlach, after Rachel passed away, Vayelich Ruuvein. Ruuvein went. And as Chazal say, he interfered into the private life of Yaakov. He took Yaakov's bed outside of Bilhah's tent and he put it in Leah's tent because he felt that it was so painful for Leah that after Rachel's death, Yaakov should move his bed into Bilhah's tent, who was Rachel's maid. When did Yaakov decide to talk to Reuven about this? And the answer is on his deathbed. You know how many years transpired between the event. And Yaakov addressing the event, 47 years. Yaakov passed away at 147. This happened when Yaakov was approximately 100 after Rachel's passing. A half a century, Yaakov didn't say a word. Asks Rashi, why? Why? And you know what Rashi's answer is in the beginning of Parshas Dvarim? Unbelievable. Yaakov said, if I talk to Reuven about what he did earlier... I am afraid. Shema Yelech Vyidbak Ochi. Reuven is going to say, Bye bye, Tati. Bye bye. I'm going to Asof. I have a Mizrach seat by Asaf. I'm going to get Shlishi, Shishi, Mafter guest of honor, Akibir Rosh Shiva by Asaf. So Yaakov was quiet for 50 years, not saying a word to Reuven because he felt that if he says this to Reuven, He's going to lose the boy. He's going to go to Esav. Who is he? He's not going to go to <laughs> another yeshiva. He's not going to go to another Rebbe. He's not going to go to another koilil. He's not going to go to another community. He's going to go to Esav. Reuven is going to go to Esav. So Yaakov decided, I'm not saying a word. So somebody asked me, this is what Rashi says in the beginning of Dvarim. He quotes it from Medrash Rabba Dvarim. So somebody asked me a question. He said, Rabbi, why? I don't understand. When Yaakov says it at his deathbed, Reuven can also go to Esav." Just like he didn't want to say it earlier, so when he says it at the end of his life, and he tells Reuven as he does in by VaYechi, we read it yesterday. Reuven, pcha iriata, koychi vireishis yes says, you were preeminent, you were the oldest. Pachas ki alisa But you were uh, you were impetuous like water, and therefore you lost these great privileges because of what you did. You violated. The, intimate, the the privacy of your father. Now he can also run away to Esau. He can also run away. So somebody in Shul said, at this point Reuven was already an elderly man, he had girls in seminary, he had eight o'clock to marry off, why well, he's going to run to Esau. Okay, cute. Well, what's the real answer? The real answer, I think, is very, very simple and very profound. When Yaakov called over his son Reuven to his bed, and he said, Reuven, I want to talk about what happened 50 years ago. And Ovin thought to himself, Reboynoi Shalayla, my father was quiet for 50 years. He did not say a word to me. Why? Why? Because he felt that this may compromise our relationship. This may feel, this may make me feel dejected. I don't belong in this family. I'll have a much easier life by ASOF. I'll have a much more luxurious and I'll have much more respect and love by Yesaf. And therefore he was silent 50 years about something that touched him at the core of his heart. When you realize that this is the father you have, you don't leave such a father. When you realize this is your father, like Yehuda said about Binyamin and Yaakov, you don't leave such a father. Such a father you don't leave. And I think that this captures the essence of what so many of us need to understand so desperately. All toichiche in the world, all chastisement in the world, all education in the world, all mussar in the world, as beautiful, as holy, as vital, as important, as sacred, as divine as it is. The yisoyed ha is the foundation underlying everything is attachment, connection. And if there's a percent chance that as a result of your words, you're not going to build your child, you're going to alienate your child. He's going to run to Asov. Then Yaakov says, be quiet for 50 years. But it's hard. It's hard. We have strong values. Yaakov also had strong values, stronger than me. <laughs> he was one of the Merkava, the Medrash says, Bochur Shabba He was quiet, not for a year. (laughs) He was quiet for 50 years. Not because he forgot. He spoke about it. And then he spoke to Shimon and Levi also. Words that he never told them before. Words that he never told them before. He said it right before he passed away because he felt that they had to be aware of it. But they had to know how much he loved them, how much he cherished them, how proud he was of them, how connected he was with them. That changes everything. We live in a time that this truth is emerging more and more every single day between parents and children between rabbis between teachers and students boys and girls young and old when there is connection all good things happen could happen when there is disconnection the most amazing ideas and most religious incentives and obligations ultimately, can chas shalom be counterproductive. And that's why I always find it very moving to join the Shabbaton of the Kesher Nafshi organization, which you could look up keshernafshi.org, which is happening not this coming Shabbos, but the next Shabbos, Shabbos Parshas Va'ira, which is also New Year's, welcoming 2022. And it's a Shabbos. I have been there with Reb Asher quite a few times. I've been there for many, quite a few years already. I had the privilege of speaking there. What is it? Last time, you remember, we were there together in a basher, two times ago. There were around seven, 800 people. Parents, fathers, and mothers. I call them the tzaddikim of our generation. I'm not exaggerating. You'll come, you'll see why. And you're talking about like this. From almost every Hasidic group, from Litvish backgrounds, Yeshivish backgrounds, Svardim, Ashkenazim, modern Orthodox, you have Boba Vechsidim and Satmechsidim and Chabadchsidim and Kloyzebegichsidim and Gerichsidim and Sanzachsidim Sadi Gerichsidim, Popichsidim, Mamush literally, Vizhnetzichsidim, Mitzkverichsidim, Rosh Yeshivas, Mashpiyim, Mechanchim, Great Sadikim, Rabbis of Shuls. What brings them together is one thing. They're not ready to let go of their children. Yes, we're struggling with our children, each one in their own way, some very, very extreme ways, some different types of ways, some with boys, girls, different ages, older, younger, they're struggling, and they don't want to leave go of their children. And there's a difficult challenge because the pain because the communities they live in, because of the other children, because of their own family. It's not easy. This is one of the biggest tests of our generation. Having a, a daughter, right? You, had, you sacrificed everything to inculcate Yurishamayim values. As little children, these were the most cutest, holiest, beautiful, heilig And now as they're growing up, they're disappointing you, and sometimes not just disappointing you, but literally breaking your heart into a hundred pieces. And these mothers and fathers, who are extraordinary people, come together to strengthen each other. They speak openly there, but without judgment. There's so much love, there's so much pride in the room. And you learn when I Reb told me Sunday. What did you tell me last time Sunday? You know, what do you tell me? At the last session over there with Rabbi Russell.
1: Said, I don't come for the speakers. I said I come for the parents.
2: Yeah. They have incredible speakers. And uh, Rabbi is not bad. Rabbi was is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm privileged to be one of them. But it's really, it's an incredible program. But the parents themselves, something special, something special. So if you need chizuk in this area, and who doesn't, it's worthwhile and don't think oh they're going to find out that I'm struggling because trust me every single person over there is struggling it's confidential nobody is posting pictures of the people so it's not like everybody's going to find that you were there there's no judgment there because everybody is dealing with with serious serious things and it's just like it's so open the women are open and surprisingly the men are open <laughs> And vulnerable and authentic. So I would encourage it very, very much because I've seen how much it benefited parents. And I myself have suggested to many, many people to go. And they have taken me up on the offer and they have been very grateful for it. So I encourage you, if you can, and even if you can't, to try to make it happen. But de the next shop is Parishva'aira. It's in Stamford, Connecticut. You could register at Keshinavchi.org. And I'm not one of the staff, I'm not one of the organizers. I'm not, uh, I'm not suggesting this because I have a personal benefit from it. I'm not. I'm suggesting it because I've seen how much it has helped people. If you can't come with your husband or with your wife, it's better to come together, but still consider coming alone. And I do not think you will regret it. You will see the most amazing, one of the most amazing groups in Klal Yisrael today in terms of people whose infinite love to Hashem, to Torah, and to their children, knows no bounds. And those of you who are on, you inspire me, you inspire us, and I'm looking forward to see all of you who will be there. Shabbos, and together, Ba'ezir Hashem, we will strengthen each other and declare together, as we said yesterday, Khazak Chazak, chazak Viniz Beautiful.
1: Rabbi Rob i Rabbi Rabbi you want to say hello to everybody. Oh.
4: Yeah. Hi. Good morning. I just good got morning. up. Hi. Wow. I enjoyed very much what you just said. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: we slept them out of bed. We slept them out of bed. What is it? Four fifty in the morning. Yeah. It's four fifty a.m. It's before the sicken.
4: But,
1: but I have to Even before you, Terach's minion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Russell wakes up this time every day anyways. Not
4: a bit. I got to tell you, if, uh, first of all, I echo everything you said. I just heard the last 10 minutes about uh, Kesha Nafshi. I know I've been there since the beginning, speaking at all the conferences. And I can honestly say I come home, m'chuzuk. my wife and I drive home so unbelievably from spending that Shabbos you know, with honest people, everyone gets honest. Where, where do we ever get really, truly honest? When? When do we feel safe enough to be really honest about ourselves, our vayda, our kesha tiyadas, helping our kids, seeing the truth? And this Shabbos provides it. It's really an astonishing, astonishing Shabbos where, honestly, I walk, I walk away mechazik. I come to be mechazik, but I walk away mechazik every single time. So, uh, you know, it's, it's anyone, if you can come, if you have a half a minute, then come, just come. You'll see, you'll see what we mean. You'll see. It's Barrett hard Russell, to
1: describe. Barrett Russell, you want to give a few minutes open, just to lay out what we want to discuss tonight, very clear, so we can get really into the partial. Yeah. There.
4: So, so look, we, you know, the subject was uh, struggling why so many teams struggling today and uh, what can we do about it? So, um, we have discussed this. Um, gosh, I'm seeing all the things popping up from people saying hi. And let me just say hi to everyone. I love you all. I, it's the truth from my heart. And I'll see all the comments afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so the subject is huge. And I'm very, very pit myself when we speak about chinuch issues, and children especially, Um, that we clarify who we're talking about so that we're not uh, giving confusing messages here. We, Rabbi Jacobson and I, we we discussed before this, what would be the group, the subset, who are we talking about? And and I want to tell you the way I see it overall, and I think we're all in agreement with this. If we're looking at the kids who are growing up in the broader yeshiva world, our community, the yeshiva world community, if we see the uh, the kids when, by the time they reach 12th grade, we can recognize, I think, in broad brushstrokes, three groups of kids. Uh, to the credit, all credit to the system and those who work in it and work with such Messias Nefesh, and Moshe Nefesh truly, to help them we see about, I would say, about 20% of the kids, and I'm going to be very optimistic here, very optimistic, but 20% of the kids who come out um, graduating 12th grade, and they're really fantastic. They are learning. They're mostly nefesh to learn the kids. They're, the girls are sanua. It seems natural and easy for them. They are fantastic products. Um who've come through the system and really imbibed and and drunk, they drank in what was offered to them, and they come out really special. I see them. They're just, they're staggering away in Torah and Mitzvahs and Yerush Hashem. They're very special. That's about 20%. You have about 20% at the other end who don't make it through 12th grade, who simply don't make it uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, but they don't make it through. And, and largely, it's to do with trauma. It's not, uh, you know, it's not the fault of anyone, but it's, it's trauma that really pushes them off. That's about 20% at the bottom. In the middle, there's about 60% of the kids. That's like three in five who come through. They're from, they address uh, the part, more or less, more or less, they act the part, more or less, they very much want to be part of the system. You could see that. But they struggle tremendously with their own feelings of success. If you would ask them, as I do, you know, I'm talking about outside my office. You know, when I meet kids all over the place, we have for Shabbos very often. My wife and I the group of boys from yeshivas or a group of girls from seminars. And I discuss it with them. I ask them, these are good products of the system. And I ask them. Um, and it turns out that this 60% are feeling at best that they were tolerated. They do not feel they were a tremendous nachas, not to the system, not to their obeyment teachers, not to their parents. They don't feel like they really, you know, that everyone's proud of them. They see that the parents and machant from the schools. The, you know, everyone's working very hard to try and be proud of them. But they feel it and they know it, that they weren't that 20%. They weren't the uh, the idealized success stories of the system. And they carry a burden of pain and hurt through life. Uh, this is a remarkable thing just happened last week, that uh, someone contacted me about would I run a group, like we have AA and NA and OA. They want SHA. What's SHA? I know what SHA is. SHA is Shul Anonymous. Shul Anonymous. This is indicative of the times we live in, where someone opened a shul here in New for men who hate shul, who are who feel almost repulsed by shul. They can't go to shul. They feel scared to be in shul. They want to be in shul, but they're really it, it, it kicks up too much pain and fright inside. And they, someone opened a shul for such people to try and help them. And they wonder, would I run a group? Would I run a group to help them overcome their fear and hurt? And these are from people, you know, Yungleid and Bachim, who, who don't, they don't feel they succeeded, I'm sure of it. They feel very, very scared and reactive. And, and they're the, the 60% who are hurting. They're part of the system. They want to be. This is what always referred to as the push-outs, not the drop-outs. You know, they're they're not wanted. They feel tolerated. This word is a horrible word that a human being, a Yid, should feel tolerated. We tolerated you. You weren't weren't the nachas of our system, but we tolerated you. We accepted you. You know, it's not good. You know, if, we, if, we, if, if we're talking about secular studies, I don't care if we tolerate someone in math or geography or history. But when the main thrust of our system is yadus, is Torah and that we should have a vast bulk of young people, boys and girls, feeling tolerated, that's no good. That's awful. That's absolutely horrendous. It actually flies, if I can just say, it flies against the essence of yadus, in my opinion. We know that when Klaalisol came out of Mitzrayim, we wrote Memtesh Shari Tuma. Uh, I'm not sure any of us can really imagine what that must have looked like. Memtesh Shari is like, you know, I, I assure you, our 60% are way above the Memtesh Shari Memtesh Shari what did they look like? had a Kurish Baruch who brought us out, Dafka Memtesh Shari Tuma so that we would never mistake and think that our Kodesh Baruch Hu loves us and embraces us and accepts us because of our productivity, because of how much we achieved, because of how smart we are, or how much we learned. Kodesh Baruch Hu brought this out because of our atmias. You are my child, my first-born child, I love you because of your Matthias," says Hashem. And let's not confuse this. It's nothing to do with being the top in the class and pulling great grades and getting hundreds and A's and doing well. It looked a lot better, a lot worse, excuse me, than the, the 60% of our system. But Hashem loved us because of our Matthias of who we are, that's missing. That's missing, and that's why we have all the problems we have with struggling kids, because they're not made to feel worthy. We value your existence because you're a Yid, you're a Jew, you're a child, and therefore we value you for who you are, whether you get the best grades or not. We value you deeply and profoundly, because if you're atzmias, you're mitzias. if children don't grow up with that, don't feel that, but grow up in a world where they feel disappointment about them, where they feel unable to be the 20% that produced the amazing nachas. if kids come through feeling tolerated, then yes, they're going to turn elsewhere for feelings of, you know, goodness or feelings of happiness to distract themselves and to get through life. They're going to turn elsewhere. Our job is to work out how do we shift things so that children feel good about themselves and they feel valued by Kali's That That's the job. And I think that's what we're talking about today. The 60%... How do we help them? How do we shift things to help them?
2: Reb Shimon, Reb Shimon, you know what the Maharal says in Tiferes Yisrael, the Maharal of Prague writes something incredible. He says the only tzaddik who's introduced in Torah without a biography is Avram Avinu. Noyach has a biography, Moshe has a biography. We understand the context. The Maharal asks, it's a question of the Ramban. Why doesn't the Torah say even one pasuk, two pesukim, that Avram was a good man? He was a holy man. He was a tzaddik. He sacrificed himself for Hashem. You have to go to the Medrash. In Torah, there's not a single word justifying Hashem's choice of Avram Avinu as the first Jew. Gavaldik, a question of the Ramban, credible question. The Maral answers not to give the impression that only a Jew who lives up to a certain bio. Sure. Somebody who Hashem loves sure. infinitely and chooses.
4: hundred percent Is that your it, innate
2: it, you, existence that I am proud of with absolute
4: pride? Well, we 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 have to, if we don't imbue our children with the feeling of b'chayri Yisrael, you are my firstborn child. I love you because of your atmius, your mitsyas of who you are without any performance. I love you. If we don't imbue that in our and we don't. Tragically, if we don't do that, wh- why should we be surprised if kids look elsewhere for chizek and support? And these are great kids. These are great, great, great kids. They're all great kids who, ha- who don't really understand what's happened around them and why they hurt so much, why they feel so much pain, why they feel like a disappointment. You know, we, we at the outset, you know, everyone, look, first of all, We all we say it as a militia, You say it, you know, all the time. I hear you say it, why why you you talk about, you know, as we all do, that if any of the others would try to get their kids into school today, we know they'd be rejected. We know it. Yeah, you know, we say it as a militia, but it's sort of true and it's sad. What happened to us that we, we lost? We, we need to address this issue maturely without knocking. You know, I'm, I, I'm such a chassid of the system, you know, in support of Torah and, and, and our ruchnes and our, 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 our system, our yeshiva system is staffed, let's be honest, by the top rung of Kralisol, the best people in Klalisol, the mechanchim and the mechanchis, who are most nefesh for our kids. That is the greatest job there is in Klamasol, is to take care of our children. Is there a a more important job? No. And they're paid the least, Nach, for this job and criticized the most for this job. They're the best we have. They are. And nevertheless, there's something unhealthy happening that prevents these children coming out the way they should come out, feeling proud to be a Yid. If you ask the average kid, are you proud, pride? Do you have pride in being a kid? They're ashamed ashamed to answer the question. They're embarrassed. They hesitate. No one should hesitate answering that question.
1: Okay, Russell, we have a few questions. I want to get a little bit into it. I know we're just starting. Please. I just want to say, anybody who's on can go to the dot net, Rabbi YY site, and try to watch it because a lot of people are trying to get on and they can't get on. We're maxed at a thousand, so anybody who's for sure not going to ask a question is going to watch it. Please go to the dot and you can watch it all there. You could go out of the Zoom; it would be great so other people can join. Um, let's start with a few questions from the from the ULUM and then uh, we'll get into it. Okay, is that okay, Reverend Russell? We're ready. Sure, in- sure. I just uh, <laughs> yeah yeah. But one last, I just want to make my last sure. comment. There's no
4: misunderstanding here. If we're going to analyze and discuss as I, I think I probably will. You know, I, I'm done with being politically correct. You know, I'd rather be honest and see if we can help people. But I don't want to be misunderstood. If we love something enough, then we ought to be healthy enough to give it constructive criticism to make it better. And I don't want any other misunderstanding. That, you know, if, if, we, if there's any comments that are reflective on how we can improve things, that shouldn't be misunderstood as a criticism of, of, like, of you know, that it's wrong and bad and we chas for Sean. It's the exact opposite. I don't think we would take the risk to have conversations like this, if not for the fact that we love the system so much and we want to see it do better and we know it can. And I, I just hope that carries through this evening that everyone understands
1: that. Amazing. Yes. Okay, let's start with the first live question.
5: You're on. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Um, It's been a few years since I was a teenager. It's not so far. So I still have a pretty good memory, a little bit of my years. I didn't have such a fun, I had a lot of challenges there, but whatever my situation was, I'm more than happy to share if you have any questions, but I. What I did was I really pushed very, very, very hard because that was like maybe almost the only option I had. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I'm doing much more now. I don't think the process was so gishmak what I think I would have wanted it to be. But what I do now is that I like I tutor a lot of people who are in Sifta High School, different subjects, whether it's Limuday Kodesh or Khail. And I see a lot of them are not enjoying themselves. Um, I don't know if it has anything to do with social media or, you know, using a lot of different uh, technology, I would say, I, because I tutor from both ends of the spectrum. People that are, have nothing to do with technology and people that are more involved in technology. I just want to know from what what can I do and what is the Hachinakuda that it could be focused on that we could say is the cause. I don't know if it's my thing the same as theirs. And what am I able to do to kind of you know, be mechazik and help them out?
4: Good. Why would you want to want to go first and say something on that? Well, uh, look. If you're asking me first, I, to me it's simple. All the questions that are going to be asked that are later on in the system, later on in age, after all the damage has been done, after we've failed to reach and inspire the kids, after we failed to do. Collectively, as a community, as Kalisol, the schools, home, everything we failed to do, effective chinuch, what is true chinuch, which means internalization and inspiration. When we failed to do that, we now wake up and have problems later on. What should we do then? What we should do is take a look at what we're doing wrong and try and fix it at the at the shairish. Uh, Avada, we have to deal with that. And I I know everyone wants to know, what do we do with technology? What do I do with the smartphone? What do I do? That's the result of the problem. And and I think we have to put a much stronger doggish initially on what caused the problem, what happened, so that we could understand it. So the the real problem, the Shirish is that the majority of the kids are uninspired. We do not inspire them. Again, if we were teaching secular studies, I wouldn't care less. That's fine. Everyone has their own mahalich what they want to do with their lives. When we're teaching Yadus, Torah Mitzvahs, that's awful. You know, you look in in primary, any primary class anywhere in the country, in the world, kids are happy. Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. Oh, they love it, they, they're, they're in love with Hashem. It's beautiful to watch. Halavai, we would stop then, just after primary, and then leave them all alone. They'll all love Hashem, they're all inspired. <laughs> Somehow, as we introduce more and more academia, we lose that. The more we introduce the academia, the more the Hamanam lose the Keshe, Pnimi, of inspiration to Yadis, to Torah that we lose that. And that's the key. The key is how do we teach kids? How do we help them grow up feeling inspired where they can internalize the wonderful messages of Chinuch they're being taught so it means something to them and connects with them? Then it's a different conversation what we do later on with how we address the internet and, and, and technology and all the problems in the world, it's a different subject, it's a different, subject, it's a different conversation. So I'd just like to shift it. That I understand what you're asking is, so what do we do now? We've got this. The answer is we have to find a way to inspire. We have to find a way to make young people feel there's something meaningful in Yadus. And it's not about grades and memorization and exams and how much you know and how well you learn. A who made people different. Some learn amazing and some don't. And some, you know, everyone can learn something, but we can't all learn on the highest level as a Vigodolyusol. That's just not, it's not reasonable. It doesn't mean it's just not a mature way of looking at life. It's not possible. It's possible for any individual person who, is so inspired that they want to be most and spend their lives trying to work it out. If they're so inspired, yeah, probably anyone can learn on the highest levels. Anyone can get there. But if they're not inspired, it's not possible. It's just not doable. So anyone who's talking to young people, the goal is to find a way of inspiring them where they feel a connection to Yadis. Instead of Total is being forced upon them and then being judged about how much they know and how well they do it. We have to get rid of that judgment, strip it off, and instead replace it with inspiration.
2: Shimon, you're a therapist for almost 35 years, right?
4: 32 years, that's correct.
2: 32 years, Lamed Bez, and you have grown to develop a heart, a
4: lave. Correct.
2: For how many teenagers have you seen children, teenagers? Thousands upon
4: thousands thousands upon
2: thousands. Could you tell us in 32 years, what are the two or one or two most powerful things that you have learned? About what damages, what destroys, what demoralizes, what alienates our kids, our boys, our girls, our teenagers.
4: So I'll tell you this again, I want to, I'm going to say it all through the night because I know I'm going to be misquoted as bashing and I don't bash. I love the system, you know, and I'm I'm in pain about what I see and I've tried my best to to help it shift and move. You can't use the word change, you know, when you reference the system, you know, they get nervous, but change is what's necessary. What I see overall, I'm going to say McClellius and then Pratius, if that's okay. What I see clearly is, is that we have a system that was created to recover from the Holocaust. as Yisrael clearly had a picture and a view, which they were 100, you know, in my comma, they were clearly right, because here we are, you know, 80 years later, and, and take a look at us. I mean, it's incredible. They had a picture and a view of recovery from the Holocaust. And in the recovery picture, it was obvious that mice, putting the mice first and the individual second, was crucial. To be metable with every single individual's needs when you're trying to recover from the Holocaust, it was clear, I heard it directly from G'dali Israel, who said it to me. And I must tell you, it, it grieved me deeply when I first heard these words. I was not mature enough to understand it. But over time, I began to embrace it and understand that the mandate of the gadoilim was clearly for survival. They were concerned about survival of khalilisol. They were not concerned about the survival of the individual. And they created a system that helped us survive the khalilis. And it's amazing how it worked. And again, I repeat, when I first heard these ideas directly from the pair of soil, it hurt me. It sounded like ah you know we're, our dogish is just not on the individual they'll go off they go off that's life it was painful as I say I'm matured to understand that but for continuity of soul, that same system that provided for recovery has to move has to shift if it's going to provide for continuity what one of the yesodiosodis I see that children feel inside that hurts to them to their core is that they're an object in a moesed where the moesed comes first, where the needs of the moesed is why, you know, we want you to, to control yourself and behave and be successful for us. We, otherwise, we can't tolerate you. It's a crazy thing to say, but it's how children feel. They're fully aware that when they get disciplined or they get, um, you know, whatever happens to them within the medicine, it the threat is that we don't need you. You're going to schtelzor, we don't need you. This is an awful, awful message for continuity of Kralisal. I understand, it took me a long time, but I got it, that it was a message a quiet, subtle message that was there at the beginning for recovery after the war. But Hashem Yerachem, that a child should go through the system knowing when they look in the eyes of the the, the menal of their school or their parents that that I'm not good enough and I'm I'm sort of permanently on probation. I better still throw me out. That I can't even get in till I get a letter that accepts me into a school. What am I, a piece of garbage? I can't get in because of grades. I can't get in somehow, I'm not good enough. The the prevailing, this message that we all know exists and the children are fully aware of that when, for example, when Mm -hmm. discipline occurs in a school, the, child, the message the child gets is that you're hurting our moesed. And therefore you have to still, and therefore you're punished. We can't have you. We can't tolerate this here. We. Whereas the message has to shift to a more authentic and true message, where the message is, Shefala, we want the best for you. And what we're trying to do is help you be a person, a a yid. We wanna help you. I'll give you an example. Every school cannot function. In fact, children children, cannot flourish, any children, without rules, structure, and discipline. Without those three usiders, children cannot grow up. It's not possible. They can't become healthy, it's hefka. We need rules, structure, and discipline. In days gone by, I grew up that way, Rule structure and discipline were administered with a, a tough face by with with the withdrawal of love with frustration and upsetness at you. And by withdrawing love, the assumption was child will want that love and will still tzu will respond because they want that kesha, and want that love, and therefore will respond and they'll they'll discipline themselves and they'll still to the system. This was the assumption up until, I don't know, it was when I was a child. Well, that's gone. That's gone. That assumption is no longer true. And in fact, what the children are hearing is, I don't really need you in my mindset. We don't need you. You're you're bothering our school. If you want to stay in school, you better do this, this, and this. Whereas the child feels, so essentially, my job is to make sure your mindset feels good. Your school feels good and can function. It's the wrong message. That message will not inspire and help a child with continuity and want to be part of it. If they've got the message that everything we're trying to do is make you work so that we can feel we're running a a good mindset, well, then the kids are going to drop out. They They don't want to be part of it. The message has to be, Shafala, this is for you. We want to help you function. Avada, we've got rules, structure, and discipline. Of course, because without it, you, you it's hefka. A child has to learn. You know, A child is, it needs to be disciplined, to work through how to do that. But we have to do it with love. We have to do it with apology. We have to do it with sensitivity. We have to do it we have to do it with sensitivity. And I think if you, the chlalius, the thing that's missing the most is this. This system, if it's going to provide for continuity, of and, clarisol and there are, by the way, maistas that are doing it without question. I see it. I speak to the principals. They talk to me. And they're shifting their maistas, not to get, chas to get loose, and give up having rules, structure, and discipline. Chas You need that, but doing it in a way that's loving, caring, and tells the child a clear message: we're doing this for you. So, Reb Shimon, when the boy comes,
2: when a boy or a girl come late—three, four, five hours late, day after day—or a bachar, or a, or a girl—give what, what, me the scenario. So, I would tell you. The 10-year-old, the 6-year-old, the 14-year-old, the
1: 17-year-old. At the end of yeah, the, the day, how's, head, the, how's the, how's the Moise supposed, supposed to be mechanic when the kid is pushing those limits?
4: When It's coming
1: two
2: hours late, an hour late, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. If, if you really want to know where it's heading, what I've suggested to schools, and there are schools that are doing it today and they're seeing the results almost instantly... <clears throat> When children come late in the old days, it was it was uh, you know a detention, it was a punishment, and let's just punish. One manal told me it got so bad in his school with the with the punishment and the detain. It just didn't work. It didn't work. So one kid came in with a credit card. They got punished canast for coming late, and he said here he gave the credit card to the manal. So what's this for? He said my father said you should just keep it on keep it on file. So when I come late, you could just swipe the card. It just, it just doesn't work anymore. Actually, it's the opposite that works. When a kid comes late... Brother
1: Russell, I'm sorry. Can I pause you for one second? I'm getting hundreds of texts. Anybody who could go to yeshiva.net, please go there now because nobody can get on. A lot of people want to kind of on. So anybody... The.
2: The. The
1: Yeshiva.net. T-H-E-Y-E-S-H-I-V-A.net. Yeah, so if a few hundred people can go there, that'd be a big chesed big if you're not going to ask a question. Thank you. Continue. Sorry, Brother Russell.
4: Yeah, no problem. No problem. So, here's a, we did an experiment in one school. And I'm going to say this just as an experiment, and, and, and it worked. And uh, the, Manal had a problem with kids coming late for davening sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, coming late. And I suggested to him, why don't you stand by? You daven early and stand by the door. And as they come late, compliment the kids for making the effort. So a kid comes five minutes late. You say, ah, I see you came. Gvaldik, go Davin. I'm so happy you're here. A kid comes 15 minutes late. You say, wow, I can't imagine what struggle you must have had this morning. Merdik, I'm so proud of you, you came. Thank you for coming. Go Davin. And a kid comes really late. You say, I can't believe it. I would have thought you'd give up. It must have been so hard for you. Wow. I'm so impressed with you. Come to me, recess. Let's have a schmooze. I got a Danish for you. And the recess, you go sit down with such a kid who repeats such behavior again and again and again. And you sit down with him in recess and say to him, Sheffield, I see you're coming late regularly. What's going on? How can we help you? And you give him a Danish and a soda and you schmooze it over with him. And the kid realizes we're here for you. We want to help you a simple little tickle, and the manal noticed the school started shifting. The dogish has to shift to the child where the child knows, even if he's going to get a detention for something, we want to help you. Shefley, you got a detention. I feel so bad. Oh, but that's the rules. How can we help you? Come talk to me. Come, let's sit down and discuss it. How can we help you so you don't come late? What's going on? What's happening in your in your life? How can we help you?
2: Re- Reb Shibman, I had a conversation with a Rosh Hashiva who runs a yeshiva. This is already for teenage boys. And his system is knosim. He gives big monetary penalties if you come late. If you come 10 minutes late, it's $5. If you come a half an hour late, it's $20. Come two hours late, whatever. It's a punishment for the parents, of course. I asked him, what do you gain from it? I, I I don't, what do you gain from it? He said, if I get rid of the Knossim system, my yeshiva falls apart. He's wrong. Nobody's going to show wrong. up.
4: He's dead wrong. He's dead wrong. If he would stand by the door of the yeshiva and give a warm smile to every kid and compliment them, the later they come means the greater struggle the kid has. I'm not talking about one time. A one time thing. A kid can be lazy. He has a hard day. But when you see consistency with kids coming late and you reach out to them and say, it must be hard for you. Come, let's talk about it. And the later they come, the more you praise them for making the effort anyway. It must have been so hard for you. I can't imagine what you're going through. And the so later be, they come, the bigger the Danish. The bigger the Danish, exactly. I had another system. Listen to this. I had a system. I started teaching this many, many years ago when I did in-services. And it was so amazing what happened. The, the schools that tried it told me you know, how amazing it was. I told the Rebbeim. They should have a yellow, an orange, and a red card in their pocket. And it's like this. They tell the kids, this is the system. This is how we're going to function. If they see a kid struggling, you know, they're not listening. They're not, you know, you need to calm them down during class. You drop a yellow card on their desk. And on the yellow card, it says, I, your Rebbe, understand you're having a hard day. Drop it on his desk. Most kids will settle down when they get the yellow card. If he doesn't, you drop an orange card on his desk. And it says on the orange card, I, your Rebbe, understand you're having a really hard day. And almost all kids will settle by then. And Lu Yitzu, a kid doesn't. You drop a red card. And it says on the red card, I see you're having such a hard day. Please go to the Manal. With this card, get a Danish and a soda and discuss with the Manal why you're having such a hard day. What, what's the message? What's the, what's the, what, what is the whole point? that The child realizes and internalizes, I'm here to help you with your hard day. Our job is to help you grow up healthy. And by the time he gets to the Manal's office, instead of being thrown out the class where he is thrown out so hard he makes an indentation in the sheetrock in the hallway opposite the door of his classroom, he goes to the Manal who's not his enemy. He goes to the Manal who gives him the Danish and the soda and says, Schaeffler, we're here to help you. How can we help you? And it's amazing. It's such a game
2: changer. Is is it possible that we adopted unconsciously the Christian idea of original sin? We don't really trust that our kids really want to do the right thing. It's almost like we feel that we have to impose it on them externally so that it should look good. Because if we leave it to their own devices, there'll
4: be chaos. You know what? That would be wonderful if we would even do that. I don't think we're doing that. I I don't think we're thinking about it at all. I think what's happened is we're just continuing a system that, as I said, was designed to recover from the Holocaust, where the individual child's feelings count less than the mice's efficiency. And that has to shift. A child has to have no suffix whatsoever, none at all. That when we discipline that child, when we... Help that child recognize their rules, structure, and discipline. Sigh at home and sigh at school. A child has to know when they look at your face, I want to help you steig. I want to help you grow up. I'm doing this for you. This is not for me. I'm doing fine. Thank you. I'm doing just fine. This is for you. I want to help you. We have to shift the paradigm where children understand, and they, they they read it off the facial expression, <clears throat> the body language, and the tone of voice of their parents, teachers, and mechanchem, that what we're doing and reacting to you is for you to help you. That's the shift, the primary shift that we have to make so the kids don't Flow through the system, always feeling tolerated. You know, how many kids tell me I felt like I was on permanent probation. I was told it by my. You know, sometimes they would come and tell me, "We're watching you." you Maybe we're watching. Is the KGB here? We're watching you. Why don't they come and say? Shayfa, I just want you to know we're loving you. Our parents grew up at the K, in the K- at, under the KGB. <laughs> yeah, you did for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure, but that's not a way that our kids are going to feel. You understand? If they're going to internalize the messages, the wonderful messages of Torah and Yira being taught to them by their mechanchim, the holy mechanchim, teaching them these messages, if they're going to internalize it, then they have to want it. It has to create pleasure within them. I'll give you another example, if I may. I asked recently, I was talking to him, uh, a mechanic asked me, they're having problems with high school, it was ninth grade. And they're having problems in their class. I said to this mechanic, tell me something. Why do you grade the kids? Why do you give grade? And do you, do, do you give tests? Do you give tests? He said, sure, ba'da." I said, do you grade the tests? He said, of course. I said, why do you do that? He looked at me like, "Ah, of course you grade the test. The, the, The kids should know whether they're succeeding or not. I said, really? That's why you grade a test? Well, you think that's helpful to children? He said, yeah. I said, no, no, it's not. Do you know why you grade tests? So you, the Rebbe, can focus and what the child is having a hard time knowing, so you can teach them better. The whole point of marking and grading is so that you can see where he's struggling and who is struggling, so you can work out how to help them and be machazik then, so you can see how to teach them better. Kids don't get inspired by having great big beginners. The 20% do. Let's, let's be very clear again. The 20% love all this. They love it. And they, they're natural learners. They shnig away. The 60% dread the whole thing because grades is an affirmation of how worthless they feel. That's horrendous. That's horrendous. And it, and it simply has to change.
1: Robert Russell, can we get a few more questions and the other ones to ask? The other ones are ready to ask. You ready?
4: Yeah, I'm ready.
6: Hi. Hi. Uh, First, I want to thank um, everyone here. Um, I just wanted to say that my answer, my question has been a little bit answered. Um, I just wanted to, uh, um, my question was what's the solution? Um, I don't have kids, uh, teenage kids that are struggling, but I do have two little boys that are in the system. And I see how the system affected my husband, and I would um, affected my relationship because of it. I mean, I came from my own baggage, but, um, and I was also in the system, but now that I'm seeing my kids and I see what's happening in the system, like I, I see how, what happened to my husband may happen to them. Um, and I, I, I want to know of a solution. I speak to Manalim. I point out when my kids, um, come up with, um, they come and tell me the way they feel about certain things. They were um, if if they were um, right, we need to feel safe by our the adults around us. So if I'm the safe parent at home, and if there's no um, safe melamen um, in the cheder, by let's say if I come up and I say a child hurt me, and you say, "Why are you bothering me in the middle of the class?" and the child is like, "He's not going to share anymore," and he comes home and tells me, "You know, my rabbi was mad at me that I told him that a child um, hurt me." And I bothered him in the middle of class. So I am like, it's important to have a safe environment. Now, the question is, what's the solution? Do we do awareness for malamdim? I mean, I speak every time I have an issue with a Melamid, and I'm not here to blame or anything. I'm just trying to go back and see what happens to the child when they're treated in this way. And I tell it, like I explain my part of it, you know, I am trying to create safety. And then when a child, Deals with that in the classroom, and they're not feeling safe with the adult that they can just speak if there's something going on. Um, what can I do as a parent more than just sticking up for my child? And and I I try and give some education, but I am just a parent. What what needs to be done? What's the solution?
4: Okay, is this over to me again? Yeah, Absolutely. do you mind if I jump in? Why would can I jump in here? Absolutely. Okay, so look, there's. we have to, we means clearly so, we have to work on this together collaboratively. The schools cannot be expected to do this alone, and nor can parents. We're either going to do this together as a collaboration or it's not going to work. The, sh- the question, really, the comments the, um, the, were just made included the word safety a number of times. And I have no suffix at all that that's what children need to experience and feel is safety, both at home and at school. That means it can't be just safe for someone who is a naturally inspired learner. We can't have it just the 20% who are just good at this naturally, who've matured enough Have enough Kishrin, never experienced any form of trauma, don't have learning disabilities, don't have ADD, don't have impulse disorders, they don't have any executive functioning problems, they don't need medication, they don't need any extra tutoring, and they come from fabulous homes where the parents themselves had this wonderful life themselves and are able to communicate safety to their kids. We have to address the fact that kids. There are many, many kids hurting and struggling and safety is indeed the key. That means how we communicate, not we give up the rules, structure and discipline. Kids need it at home and they need it at school. But we have to work out a way together collaboratively to administer the rules, structure and discipline in a loving way. That's the first ticket that everyone has to do. And anyone who doesn't know how to do it needs to go and learn how to do it. Because if we don't connect the kids in a loving way, if they don't love going to school, if they don't feel loved by their, their teachers and loved by their parents, if they don't feel truly loved for who they are, if they have to hide who they really are and how they really feel, because if they don't hide it, they're going to get criticized. They're going to get in trouble. If we don't change that, We're never going to help the kids, never. Child has to be safe to be a work in progress. That means they're not perfect human beings. They're kids, for heaven's sakes. They're little kids who are struggling to grow up and work out how to live life. And safety is the first. I I love the question because it addresses the key issue. With safety, there's connection. Without safety, there's distance. There's disconnection. In all work in trauma, all trauma work, what is trauma? Trauma is the reaction to an experience that made me feel incredibly unsafe, so I disconnect. What we have to do is work out how to reconnect with the kids so that they're not judged by their grades. They're not judged by whether or not they're fabulous learners or naturally sanua. They judged by their pneumias, by the sort of who they really are. They judge by their honesty. They judge by their trying. They judge because they're a person. We see their etzim, their atzmius, their pneumias, and they. We can communicate. Yes, I love you for exactly who you are. You're not in. The, you're not an inconvenience. You're my child, and I'm here to help you. The the dogish has to shift where children feel. But our reaction, the adult world's reaction to them is not one of frustration, disappointment, where they're inconveniencing us, where we embrace them, accept them, and are ready to do the hard work of helping them grow up.
1: Russell, can we we jump to the next question? Please. Okay,
0: so... So first of all, I just want to thank you both for this conversation. And it's as a teacher who's been teaching in for the past 15 years, both in and mostly in high school, a little bit in elementary school now, um, I feel like you articulated things that as a teacher I struggled with because what I taught 15 years ago to my girls as a Navi teacher, and they would hear this Rashi or this Ramban and be inspired by. I spent a while recently, like, you know, in the past five years or so, just like noticing that the girls weren't experiencing it in the same way and really struggling as, and I, Baruch Hashem, I'm in an out-of-town school. It's a wonderful school. They care about every student. I don't Those issues we don't have specifically, but there was a struggle of the students to kind of integrate it. And I realized that when I'm teaching Navi, the students, if they don't know, just like you said, that they are a Neshama, no matter what they do, then I'm innocently, as a teacher, Kind of reinforcing all these negative things of all these messages that Hashem is giving to Yisrael. So, what I ended up doing this year, which I, 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 you know, was I actually said, we can't open our Navis yet because I don't want to be responsible for teaching you mistakes until you understand what kind of relationship we have with Hashem, what is the role of Yisrael, if we're talking about Yoshua and getting to Eretz Israel, where we fit in the, in the timeline of history, and that we are in Hashem. I use Rebbe Tzinzu the idea of a Shabbos lamp the light is always on, you might cover it up, but you're always good. And then once they kind of had that, then we did like a, a like a us Navi party in the beginning of November, because, and I made sure that they understand it, I reviewed it with them, because I wanted, and then what was beautiful is that then we created an essential question, why are we learning Navi? You know, what's the point of this? And the essential question that they created was something along the lines of, how can we learn Navi in a way that we can hear the wisdom of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so we can get to know the neshama of Hashem, which is a part of Hashem, the neshama that we have within us, which is a part of Hashem, so we can be our best selves and fulfill Kal Yisrael's mission. And then as we're learning, we're going back to that question because girls would say to me, like, we, teachers say I have to know this before us for the test, but, like, what about for life? Like, what does this have to do with my life? And so right. finally right. I felt like, and I'm, so I'm open to, first of all, I just, you know, I feel like, I now understand a little bit more of like, what's the rationale behind some of the things that I'm seeing. And, it, it, and, and as a teacher, like the teacher that you said, innocently, I was teaching now the giving test. Like I didn't mean to, but I see that in that process with, because somehow our kids are not, they don't have the same foundation of these Amuna concepts or basic, like they, they're just getting Pasuk Rashi, but they don't know why they're getting Pasuk Rashi. Exactly,
4: Exactly. Listen, first of all, can I just tell you, it is heartwarming. To hear, I see. I know that mechanchim and mechanchis like yourself exist. Uh, the, our system is packed with really caring people who are, are worried about what they're seeing, because you see the shift in the world. You know, text textual based work in high school, and everyone starts falling asleep. It's like they can't do it anymore. In the old days, everyone did texts and redacts and rashes, no problem. Today you do that and everyone's mad. The whole class falls asleep. Everyone's like nodding off. It's, you see the difference. Look, let me put it this way. Again, I want to be clear. I love it. I want to make it better. My passion is I have no criticism, negative criticism at all. I want to make it better and have less kids hurting and we can do it. And I think, but often, Claudia, I think there are three shifts that need to happen throughout the system. And if all the Mechanchim and the Mechanchis would embrace this and parents will embrace this and demand this, maybe changes will happen. I know changes will not happen by another article in the Mishpacha magazine or Ami. That's not going to make changes happen. If, If the grassroots of parents and Mechanchim, and Mechanchis recognize the shift has to change. It has to for our survival, then things will change. And here's the three things I'd like to suggest. First, one I've said very clearly that all children to flourish need rules, structure, and discipline. Anything other than that, we just wreck the kids. It's just not fair to them. We have to give them the rules, structure, and discipline, but we have to do it and train people, everyone, parents, and and we have to train everybody how to do it with love. So the child has no sophic on earth at all. That so when we administer those rules, structure, and discipline, it is for the best interest of the child. It is not about the efficient functioning of the moist or the home. We have to shift away from that. The kids in this generation, why that's a different Coach from show to understand why it changed. That's a different, you know, that's not the nicer tonight. But the fact is it did change. And because it changed, it's crucial that we get the message across to children. We're doing this for your benefit, not for the efficient functioning of our school or the efficient functioning of our home. If we get kids helping Before Shabbos at home, it's not because a mother is overwhelmed and distraught and frustrated, and therefore she's running around forcing everyone into a voters' paraf to try and help her get Shabbos ready. It's that it's only healthy. It's healthy and mature to help out, to learn how to be caring for the home. So we want to bring you into that for you, for your benefit, so you'll grow up like a healthy, mature, and responsible person. But it's not about efficiency because we can't cope. How am I meant to get it done if you don't help? It's the wrong message in this generation. It doesn't inspire and it doesn't connect. So the first shift has to be that all rules, structure, and discipline, sci-at home and psi at school, are conveyed in a manner where the child realizes it is child-centered It is not the messages I'm saying are not centered on efficiency for my school, my mindset, or my home. It is centered on you. That's where we want to go. We want to help you with this so you can grow up healthy. That's the first shift. The second shift, in my opinion, has to be that we recognize that focusing in schools on the best 10% or 5% kids in the class is a crime. I'm saying it straight. It's a crime. It's criminal. To leave everyone else behind where the joy and pleasure of teaching the best kids and, and, and we as if we actually think that we're inspiring the rest of the class to be like the natural learners who do this easily, this is a crime because we're leaving everyone else behind feeling stupid. And, and that's criminal. That We should do that with Tyra. What we have to do is find the average. We have to learn how to teach to the average kid in the class. Incidentally, the resource room at the bottom will shrink, which will save us a fortune of money because it costs a fortune because so many kids are disabled from learning because the standard is just way beyond them. And if we would make the standard the average kid in the class, we would embrace most of the children. The resource room at the bottom would shrink. And instead, we could make a voluntary, but you don't have to, but if you wish to, you could volunteer to go into an advanced track class once a day. You can come out and be advanced if you're really good at it. You're welcome to do it. But you don't have to. If you want to, make an advanced track for those who wish and would like to be, and they happen to be gifted, and they get bored in the middle, and they can by, by they can volunteer to be tested and go out to a higher-level class for part of the day, and they can steig us, we won't stop steiging, we'll elevate all of and we will connect most of the children to feeling they're actually part of something, because they can relate to the learning level, because it's on a level they can understand. This second shift is crucial, and it's partially criminal that we should keep having a standard that's way beyond the average kid in the class. We have to work out what is the average level and teach to that? I'm sure it's not, not impossible to do. Uh, in fact, I'm sure it's possible. That's the level. That's the second shift we have to move to. Get a rid of, we're not, an, you know, we've, we're creating an elitism in Kralisol. That's, that's, that's not what Hashem meant. Kralisol is everyone. Sibra is sadiqim, in virashayim. We're all the tzibber. We're all part of soul. We cannot make it where the elitist, the best of the best, is the one who's academically gifted, is suddenly the best of the best. That's ridiculous. It's a crime. That's the second shift. The third shift, in my opinion, is something that I found so bizarre, I can't grasp how we missed it in Klalysol. Ms. <clears throat> Sasham says... In the, in the beginning, in the alphabet, he says, The Ikem of a person in this world Las is Lasus Mitzvahs, do Mitzvahs, serve Hashem. And there's a third one, which almost no one knows. It's amazing to me. Amazing, shocking. We're good at Mitzvahs, teaching Mitzvahs, halacha. We're good at lavad. We, we, we push the kids to, to avoid it Hashem. What's the third one? Lamid handle the nisayanus of life. To me, it's a clear atzuma that we've not embraced this in our school system where we ought to be having age-appropriate once-a-week conversation with the kids on your level, each age level, lamad b'nissayin class. Once a week. What are the Nusioinus of your level? And every level, every age has different Nusioinus they're dealing with. It, it can't be hard to work it out. What are the bullying? You know, it, it doesn't start in third grade with internet. That's later on. But there's bullying. There's, there's getting along with friends. There's, there's, chesed, there's caring. There's coming on time. There's all sorts of things that we could talk about. Bringing your supplies with you to school. That's part of the Lamad Dbeni class, you know, to make sure you have your pen. How do you make sure you have your pen and a pencil or whatever you need, your, your, your supplies? We have to address Lama Dbeni It has to be, in my opinion, a once-a-week class where you sit around with the Rebbe or teacher and discuss it with them, where you talk about the difficultness age-appropriate and every grade it goes up. So that by the time we get to the level where the they're aware there's such a thing as the internet, and they have the possibility to maybe get it, they've been experiencing school with love and kindness from their obeying rule structure and discipline with love and kindness. They've been experiencing a level of learning that they could internalize because it was on a level that they could understand what it was and they've been working through nisyanus, so it's not suddenly out of the blue there's this d- devil called the internet. They've been working on a Yisod called nisyanus. that life is full of nisyanus. There's, there's a framework within which we can understand the nisyan of the internet and everything it brings because they've been taught there is a framework called lamad bin and it's why we're here. We don't have to be scared of it. We have to embrace their nisyonus in the world. Hashem put us here for this purpose, and it has to be in their fabric and their blood that there's such a thing called nisyonus, and that we go through nisyonus in this world, age-appropriate. So by the time we come to talk with the internet, it's one of the many nisyonus, and they have a framework, and they have an understanding. It's not like isolating it, but we understand what it's all about. If we would have these three changes, I believe that we would shift to what is essentially a child-based focus, side home and side school, where the children would realize we as parents and adult, the adult world, our interest is them helping them be special. And they would see that we feel that way. And then they would feel that way. And if they feel that way, they wouldn't, we wouldn't have these shilas later on about how do we deal with the internet and YouTube and Netflix and all these other shyness. They come up. We wouldn't have those shilas because the kids would have had a framework in which they feel fulfilled. They feel appreciated. They feel loved. Most of all, they feel wanted. They feel wanted. And they have a framework that understands that the world is full of misguidedness. And so let's stop being frightened of the internet. Let's stop being, you know, if we're going to have... The one and only response to the internet is shmira. Let's guard, let's yell and scream. Let's threaten and frighten everybody with frightening drashas about the internet. If that's the only simple thing, if that's it, then we we lost. We lost. We already lost. Because we will not scare everyone out of it. What we have to do is nurture their relationship to Yadis in the first place, because their relationship is one that they enjoy, feel loved, and appreciated. We have to put the internet in a context where not only do we do Shmirah, which we have to do obviously, and we have to have Gedorim and rules, and because the internet's so dangerous, not just Shmirah, but on the contrary, it's in a framework where it's one of the many Nisyanis our Kaddish Barakum put in this world, and actually, it's a To'eles for us. And we look at us, we're all on the internet. We're all on the internet. Look at us tonight. Here we are, using it appropriately in a productive way. And we have to teach our children, we cannot use fear, just fear and shmirah, because the kids don't relate to it. It doesn't mean anything to them.
1: That's Russell, murdered Murdered. Murd
4: Thank you so
0: much. I would love if, um, through Coach Menachem, I would love to have other teachers that we could work together to kind of create this kind of thing. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, Russell. That was amazing. Okay, you're
1: welcome, right, Russell. A lot of the topics we want to cover tonight. We just <coughs> get warmed up, but there's so many good questions coming in. Can we go to more good questions? Can you handle it? <laughs> Let's go. Okay, you're on.
7: Um. Okay. First of all. Wow. I, I'm like so insecure to even ask my question now because I was so wowed by everything you just said. I took notes on it. Um, and really quickly, because it ties into my question in response to that um, about the internet, when they all the rabbis were saying how no internet, they made a whole thing about no internet. And then everyone shut down with um, because of COVID. And I thought it was the per, and then everyone had to go on Zoom. I thought it was a perfect opportunity for the rabbis to come back and tell everyone, look, Hinderlach, we said, you know, we said all this, but here there's this thing with Zoom, and they could have even used it as an opportunity, and they didn't, and it was a missed opportunity. But I want, my, my real question that I wanted to ask you here was um, um, that I, I went to a school where um, 50% of my grade went off the Derech, and um, I believe, and I've been exposed to, to a lot of people who have gone off the derech, and um, and I really believe that um, many people do go off the derech because um, they people believe that um, that Judaism is really black and white to a certain extent, and um, we've been taught, um, you know. In a, in in a, you know, to believe that Hashem could do no wrong, and I believe that, but I think because you know Hashem is so abstract and we don't, we can't visualize it, right? But um, you know, we, in order for relationships to flourish, there needs to be the full gamut of emotions, right, including rage, disappointment, and all those you know feelings, right? So my question really is, is it possible? Um, that people who go off the derek don't believe that they could be upset with Hashem. And by upset, I mean like that I could say, you know, I believe that what happened to me, um, you know, I, like not that I think what Hashem did was wrong, but like, Hashem, I'm so upset that this happened. Um, and I know that this might be what's best for me, but like, you know, that, 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 because in order for like, we, you know, in order for something, for a relationship, we need repair within a can I, relationship. Can I
4: interrupt you? Do you mind if yes. I interrupt you? I think yes. I got the question. I okay, just, great. For the, for the brevity and time, I think yes. I got the question. And, and I, we, we had agreed before we did this that we weren't going to go into tonight the off the der sugia. We we're okay. going to stay with the six But I want to address it just very, very quickly for you. But then I would like to get back to the 60% hurting kids in the system that we want to focus on. But just a quick comment to you. Kids who go off have experienced trauma. And trauma disconnects you. When kids react, it's bad enough what the 60% experience of feeling somewhat tolerated instead of we fell over them We love them. We're so happy. Imagine if we would relate to the 60% the same way we as parents related to them when they were born. How much nachas do we have when we held them when they were babies, when we played with them and cooed with them and enjoyed them? If they would have that feeling of caring and love, they'd be fine. But they don't. So it's bad enough they feel that feeling to begin with. But then some form of trauma strikes and trauma is about disconnecting. So they're disconnected in the first place. And then trauma says to them, I don't feel safe in this system. There's no, kids don't go off because of philosophy. The philosophy comes afterwards. The philosophy is part of a child trying to work out how to make sense of what happened to me. Kids go off because they're in horrible pain and they feel frightened, hurt, and rejected, and they disconnect for safety.
2: That's, that's, Shimon, I'm sorry for, for jumping in here. In 32 years as a therapist, you have probably encountered directly, indirectly, in your office, out of your office, hundreds, maybe thousands of kids who have left Yiddishkeit. Could you be very straight and honest with us? Has there ever been a case of a kid, a boy or a girl, who has been alienated from Torah and mitzvahs, because of a Yetzirah that said, I had a great family, I, have a, I, I love my life, but I just have these bad midos, and I hate God and I hate to fill in I hate Shabbos, ever?
4: No, not one. Wow. Not one. In fact, I once, I once spoke at a conference about love and a, a family came to me afterwards, were very, very hurt and they were rightly so because they loved their son tremendously, and he went off. And, and he, he's, they said he loves us too. I went out of my way, and I took this boy out for dinner twice to see if I could work out what was the trauma, what was it, what, what, what is it that's happened to him. And we're not getting into that sugya tonight. Again, that's a different sugya, which I'm happy to get into. And I couldn't work it out, and I was perplexed. One of the maybe hundreds of thousands of children directly and indirectly through the parents I worked with, there was one that I couldn't work it out. Every single other child turned out to be one of two traumatic experiences. One of two. It was either sexual trauma of some sort. You see, look, let me put it this way. All children in the Haredi world, in our firm world, the whole from world, the Shom as world, our world, all children build their lives around two pillars. There are simply two pillars that hold their lives till they work out what to do with the rest of their lives. These are the two pillars of yadus And the pillars for children around which their lives are built are learning and sneers, hatzne'a Both the girls, obviously, and even the boys with and Schm and I and sneers and learning. when either of these two are interfered with, these two pillars on which a child's, their life is built see, sneers and learning isn't something we do. It's who we are. It's very different. It's not something you just do. Whereas you have your life, a solid life, and you happen to do this too. It isn't like that for a child. For a child, learning and sneers are what they they believe their lives are. The pillars of their lives, on which their lives are built, it's the foundation of their life. When either of these two, that's why molestation, sexual abuse, destroys children completely because it takes one of the pillars of yardas of their lives and, and takes it from them. And when kids either are not capable of learning or they have de facto learning disabilities, you know, real or or, or ones that have happened because of life. Uh, the, the bottom line is they're not able to learn either because the level is simply too high for them or, or they have a and kop or they have a problem that interferes in their lives, they have in their lives that they, they're dealing with that stops them having an open mind to learn. When either of these two pillars are compromised, a child. Collapses internally and they go off for safety. Right. That's why kids go off.
2: So you're saying trauma doesn't mean the kid was molested. Trauma could mean that he's sitting a few years in a classroom and feels like a
4: loser. Well, there's no question that learning trauma, when I first mentioned the words learning trauma, since those days, I've had the schus to to talk to some of the world famous people the secular people who are mechadshim in the world of trauma, when I told them about learning trauma, it was such an eye-opener to them, what I told them we're dealing with. In fact, they didn't have these words before. There is a sugi called learning trauma. I, I dare say if I had the money, someone came to me with enough money, I will prove this. We Just like you do MRIs on a child's brain and you can light up and see the trauma centers in the brain, learning trauma kids, that kids who could not learn and spent all those years in a school system that was primarily, the primary nachas is if you're a learner, and this kid couldn't learn, their brain will light up like any other trauma victim.
2: Reb Shimon, we throw around the word trauma now, day and night. Could we ask you as a professional, to give us a 60-second definition, what is trauma? If my car is towed, I also call it trauma, but that's not trauma that you're talking about. What it, If you're in Brooklyn and you
4: get a ticket, it's also traumatizing. Tell us what trauma is. This, this is we, we did this. We did this Coach Menachem show on trauma one time, but I, I, I'll say this much. The piece that, that counts is the, the result of trauma. It's a, a life-threatening or horrific experience, or set of experiences, like in complex trauma, where it's a a myriad of micro traumas, little events that add up cumulatively. And the net result is that internally, I feel like, like my life is threatened, my integrity. I feel horrified about life. And so I disconnect, I go offline to save myself. I go into a place of safety, so fight and flight, so I can save myself. It's essentially, my brain goes offline. I go offline for safety. That's what trauma does to a person. It disconnects you from the source that is frightening you. That's why so many, that's why this shawl came to me. Can I do a group, a trauma group? They know it's trauma. They said it to me to try and get them back into shore because they feel tra- they're scared, they experience was so hurtful in short, they just got to stay away from it. So a boy or a girl that's suffering from
2: trauma, forgive my bluntness, has no bkhira. They have no free choice.
4: They, the, the, the kudus ha'bechira has shifted to a different place. They have choice to be safe, and they're choosing to be safe. Right. That's really what's happening. So their
2: choices to go away from Yiddishkeit are sometimes the healthiest that they can. Sure, a kid, a
4: kid that that that, that smokes up, that, that smokes marijuana or drinks. You know why? Why is drinking so prevalent? Unfortunately, in these yeshivas, because kids need to disconnect. They didn't decide to become alcoholics. There just is so much pain. There's so much pain that when they drink, they feel less pain, and when they smoke weed, they feel less pain, because they're hurting. You know, I, I I don't think of trauma is a black and white. You know, you're either traumatized or not. There's it, You know, there's there's a spectrum. You know of, of which of how it affects people. But it, the essence of trauma is it disconnects you. You disconnect. Kaddish Baruchu made us in a way that when you get threatened, your life, your integrity is threatened, and you're afraid for your life, you disconnect. You fight or flight. You fight it or you run from it. You get away from it. Or you freeze. Or you freeze. That's right. That's also a way of of, of safety. And then the kids, you know, kids who are disconnected because they feel like I'm such a worthless, stupid person because I can't follow the Gemara. or I can't follow the Mishnahis or I can't follow the Redak. And they disconnect and go into freeze mode or flight mode. And then they get yelled at for not being cooperating and not learning and not being attentive, you don't have your finger on the place, which simply drives them further away into a world of pain and fear. That's the sugi of trauma. And learning trauma is as real as real could be. It's no, no different than all the other forms of trauma. But no, I have never seen ever a kid that it was a pure, a, a, no 11 or 12-year-old has a deep philosophical belief system that then makes him go off the derech because of, you know, comparative religion. You know, he's not sure if really is right. There's no such thing. I've never seen one.
1: Any philosophy, any question. So don't they get sometimes the off the derek conflict sometimes, aren't they into that? Right, exactly. No kid ever went to Shop and got the off-the-dirk complex
4: to make sure every day, oh, let me eat these complex, I'll go off the dirt. Ha! Golding. On the contrary, they're all push-outs. They're not dropouts, they're push-outs. If we would give them a way to be in, they wouldn't have left.
2: So you're saying so you're saying something incredible. What you're saying is that what we for thousands of years called the good old are horror.
4: Today, it's brokenness. It's brokenness. Huh? Yeah, sure. The kids, no one's going off because of poverty and pogroms. You don't have to be a world famous historian to realize that poverty and pogroms, take a look in most of the yeshiva world, poverty and pogroms is not the problem. That's not why kids are going off. Adoraba, kids don't want to go off, but we're making them feel we don't want you. When we went to Yeshiva, we were the children born after the war, right? We were born after the war. We went to Yeshiva. Do you know that our Rebbeim, the Shehru Saplaita, who taught us, the G'dayli Yisroel taught us, they clearly made us feel we are wanted in Klarisol. Those of us that came, there weren't that many. It wasn't like today. Where we came, they made us feel they needed us. They wanted us. They never graded us. They wanted us. That, unfortunately, is not the experience of the 60%. And until we recognize that and we shift, make subtle shifts. Call it shifts if you don't like the word change. I call it change because I name it for what it is. But call it shifts if you're more comfortable. Until we make the shift that the 60% of kids good, nice, lovely people, Jewish kids, our children, till we make them feel wanted and valued, why would they want our system? Why? And why, how would they protect themselves if we give them no chinuch in, 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 in working out how to handle Nishinus, and all we do is yell at them and get angry with them and make them feel less wanted? So, So... So, Reb Shibin, you're
2: saying that when I'm watching a child who has trauma leaving Yiddishkeit, I have to understand that this is actually the best thing that this person can do for himself or herself to protect themselves under the circumstances, and I
4: could never blame them as, never. 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 They're broken. Never. On the contrary. Und- it's amazing. When you understand it, <clears throat> when you're wise enough, Knowledgeable enough to reach inside a hurt child and, and understand that the trauma is the gyrum. That's why you know I want to tell you, parents come to me crying. I look at my neighbors. I don't think I did a worse job than they did. My neighbors, my sisters, my sisters-in-law, my, my I don't think I did a worse job. How come my kids are struggling there's no? The answer's always a hundred percent trauma. Because if kids are not resilient to begin with, then comes trauma. They can't. And the 60% aren't resilient. And one of the reasons they they are not resilient is because they feel they're tolerated. They're not wanted. They're not the shufra, the shufra. They're not desired. They're not b'ni b'chayri Yisrael. They're not looked at with unconditional love. You are my khal And they can't imagine why, by the way. So, so to, to give, give Musa to such a child is an act of murder. I want to tell you. I, w- I asked this Shaila to Leib, Zeich Sadi Kadosh Levracha, Leib I asked him, you have two boys in bed. They don't get out in the morning. One is lazy. He's got Midas Ras. And one is struggling with his taivas, perhaps with depression, with anxiety, he's got he's struggling. He's got like a nefesh. He's struggling inside with a problem, emotional problem. How do I know which is which? So, so shiva said to me, "Like my nafkamina." I said, "It's huge. Nafkamina is if it's midas, you do musa. If it's chayla you do tippurufui. You you help them. You reach inside." So he said, well, maybe you do both." I said, "Chas v'shalom." I said, if you do tippa rufu'i with someone who's, who's lazy, it does nothing, really. But if you do musa on someone who's emotionally damaged, you're a mazik. Killing him. The Rashiva thought for a minute. And then he looked at me and he said, You're mechuyav, you're mechuyav to do tippa rufu'i. In this generation, this is what he told me. You're to do tippa rufu'i. You have to do rufu'a first. And if it all fails, which by the way, it doesn't, but if it all fails, and you do simple for your emotion, you reach a child emotionally and understand his struggles or her struggles, and you help them, if that fails, then you can consider Musa, which incidentally it doesn't when you do the work properly. That's what the Shiva told me. So,
2: Reb Shimon, in a spirit of no diplomacy, so one of the 60% boys, he's now 14 or 15 years old. He comes home in the summer or in winter break and he's walking around the kitchen without a yarmulke. This, this cute little angel is now walking without a yarmulke and your 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl is now walking around almost like Chava and Adam before the Eitz Hadass. And the instinct of the father and the mother is to do what every Jewish parent does which is? Which everyone does the wrong thing, you mean? (laughs) You tell me, which is musr. In our house, in our house, we don't walk around without a yarmulke. In our house, we don't walk around with such a type of outfit or no outfit. If you want to live in my house, if you want to live in my house, these are standards, and I'm I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. Because the Gehenim, Gehenim, Gehenim is, is hot. Gehenim is hot. And the Rebbeinu has expectations. It's for you. It's not for me. It's not for me. I love you. I love you. But in my house, you don't do this. In my house. In my house. Because this is a house of Torah. And, and we didn't survive Hitler and Stalin and, and the Hashem, and the Yevanim and the sorry, to walk around without a Yamaka. And I'm serious because I get up four in the morning every day to learn and I do Yerushalmi too. And to see my 14-year-old, this is the father or the mother. Is he right? Is he wrong? Is he dead wrong? Is he a shayfich damen b'shay gig? Wait,
1: wait, wait. I have to just read something somebody wrote. Can I read something? Okay. I just want to say that I'm listening to this and I'm crying my eyes out. I have struggled so much as a child and as a teenager. I feel so validated with everything that's being said. Sorry, continue. Thank
4: you. I want to tell you, Usher, when you read those, see, I'm so in touch with that, it brings tears to my eyes, because I'm fully aware of the pain and suffering, the unnecessary pain and suffering that goes on in Kralisar. It's what I've sat with for 32 years, what I see. And whoever wrote that, I'm with you, with you. Let me go back to Why Can I answer your question? Please. The answer is like this. I understand. I totally get it. Why parents are frightened, sometimes angry. And they think at that moment when they lack knowledge of how to respond, they fall back on what they experienced from their parents in their childhood because they have no, nothing else there. They don't know of another malach, not because they're bad and want to hurt their kids. Chas v'shalom. They love their kids. You wait and see if someone else starts up with that kid or this. They'll come ferociously out in the house to protect their kid. They love their kids, but they have no other knowledge. No one taught them yet that what you're meant to do is look away from it and then take your kid out for supper. Take him out for dinner and talk to him. And see, you know, I noticed, I see you're not wearing a yarmulke. You must be hurting. What have I missed? I'm so sorry. What have I missed? Clearly, I don't know you, and I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed that I don't know you. You're my son. You're my daughter. What have I missed? Help me know you so that maybe I can help you. And if you can say that with the love and the tears and the pain, the self-awareness that we missed our kids, we didn't understand them, we didn't feel them. And your kid will tell you. They tell me, they tell me in the office, they tell me, they wish their father and mother would take them out and just ask that, why do you think they're not wearing the yarmulke? That's the result of a problem. That's not the problem. If you see the yarmulke, it's a red, it's a red sticker on a troubled nishama traveling through this world. And that lack of a yarmulke says, fragile, handle with care. Take them out and talk to them and simply reflect back to them. I see your went down. To me, that means you're hurting You're my child. You're hurting. Tell me what it's about. Maybe I can help you, and I'm so sorry. I obviously missed what's going on in your life, and I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed. How can I help you?
2: But this boy, who feels disconnected from his father or mother or both, because if he would have been connected, he would have been more resilient, but he's not connected, looks at his father and says, get out of my life. And he uses words that I'm not going to repeat here in public. And the father plots us, the poor guy, he never heard such words from a child. And when he used that word once, he was smacked up for 20 minutes. He never used it again. The father, the father says, go out with you, with a loser like you, and he doesn't use the word loser. That's, you know, that's already a nicer word. What What do you do now?
4: Again, See what we're doing is we're dancing at the far edge of the results of problems that right. have been bubbling right, up. Exactly. Most kids, most boys, for example, are aware that they're disconnected. Even the ones, the sixty percent who stayed with the system, and they still dress more or less from, and they look more or less from. They just, you know, gave up so much, disconnected to so much of yandus. You know, that they could actually, they could put on a heater on Shabbos if it's cold. They could, you know, put the air conditioner on if it's hot. Uh, They dress the whole lavush, but there's no, the inspiration and connection is dissipating, It's gone. It started in seventh grade Hanukkah. I'm not talking about trauma victims now. I'm talking about kids who by seventh grade, when their rabbi said to them, boys, you better get your engines firing now or you're never going to get into a Masifta next year. You can't wait till eighth grade. You got to do it now. And every kid hears that line, you'll never get into a Masifta. And they're already aware that I'm not really wanted and I'm going to have to fight to be accepted as a Jew, as a Yid. And game over, seventh grade the damage starts. And then you wonder when they're 14, 15, all these years later, four, five, six years later, how do we deal with it then when we already missed the boat? We have to tune in much better to where our kids are at. Understand and recognize the simonim and stop trying to get yarmulkes back on their heads, but rather embrace the, the yarmulke that's disappearing. You know, we used to talk about the ones the boys created a crater. You know, they had his hair with a crater in the middle. You could drop a yarmulke in there where no one would see it. You know, in the in the hairstyle. We have to recognize the simonim are telling us about something deeper. It's like God forbid a person gets, you know, an adult gets like like lesions on his body. And, and instead of going to a doctor and saying what's happening, they they put you know cover up and a band aid on it, thinking that's going to help him. It's not about getting the yarmulke back on his head. It's about inquiring in a loving way what's happened inside you that makes that yarmulke come off. That's the first conversation. If you have that conversation properly, you probably won't need to say anything about the yarmulke going back on at home. You know why? Because the yarmulke served its purpose. Taking that yarmulke off served its purpose. My father listened to me and heard my pain. And you may not need to even talk about it. And how idiotic that we're going to start ranting and raving about getting the yarmulke in my house, the way you just described it, and completely miss the point and bury our children in deeper pain and anguish, where now it's not the armchair, you know, who knows what next, it's weed or, or whatever else, or a girlfriend, because the kid's in pain. We have to wake up and realize the kids are hurting, and we have to change the system so they don't hurt and as parents, we have to tune in to those early signs of hurting and inquire about the hurt and the pain and be willing to go there with our children. Mr. Bancham, if not, why do we have them? You know, how many kids feel that, that? Like, why do you have me if you don't really care about me?
2: Walk me through this. This girl, this 13, 14 year old, is saying disgusting things to her mother and father. You want to go out with her, she doesn't want to talk to you. You call a psychiatrist and a psychologist in NYU, you don't call Shimon Russell, they call an NYU psychiatrist, and they tell you, after three weeks of talking to her, she's suffering from defiance disorder, depression and anxiety.
4: Okay, this is not the sixty percent again. We've gone off track. But this is the sixty percent that became this. Yeah, this is no longer the sixty percent. She right. came out of the sixty percent. She's she came now out a of,
2: different. She
4: came out of the sixty percent. Yes, so that this this where she is now needs a whole different tipple. This is cash enough, she work.
1: Hey, Rosal, is... I want to go back to the sixty percent. I want to go into one topic. I think we can clarify a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Please. Why are so many parents often in denial or out of touch with what's what's actually going on? Why sometimes it takes such a long time where they're just not there? Can you give some advice, first of all, for the parents? We're talking about, again, the 60%. They see the kid is struggling. They know a little bit. They'd rather just avoid it or they're not hopping. What's what's going on?
4: First of all, no parents make a logical, rational decision. They're just ignoring it. No Mm -hmm. such thing. Parents are frightened out of their wits. Parents are fully aware that if I don't get my kid to somehow shteldzu to school quickly, they'll probably be thrown out, and/or they won't get into a high school, and/or they won't get into a base yeshiva or seminary, and/or they won't get a shirach. Parents are terrified about the consequences of what's happening, and unfortunately, unless they've been exposed and educated to a, a different mahalach of how to reach their kids then their entire focus is to try desperately to either get their kids to behave and or they disconnect. They go into denial because they're terrified. You know, Kodesh Baruch Hu made all midas, right? We didn't invent midas. All midas were made by Hashem, including denial. I ask parents very often, were you told by your, your school or anyone else you're in denial about your kid? And they get very, very hurt. And they, yes, we've been criticized that we're in denial and yelled at we're in denial. So I tell parents, in my humble opinion, denial is a God-given gift to help you when you're in such a difficult, traumatic situation that you don't know what to do. And the chances are, if you do something, it'll be wrong and make it worse. So if you are in denial without knowledge how to help your kid, then do me a favor, stay in denial for a while while we work out what the what the mahalach is, what the approach is to help your kid. You just stay in denial for the time being. That's why Hashem gave you that midda. It's fascinating that when you tell this to someone, they almost always come out of denial immediately. And I tell them, please don't, please don't, because the chances are you don't know how to handle it. Can you handle this with love? Can you take your kid out? For dinner and talk to them in a loving way while they're sitting there not wearing a yarmulke, or your daughter's sitting there and she's open on top. Can you sit there with her in a restaurant and talk to her about you know her heart and her pain and her hurt? Well, if you can't, you may denial may be a very good option for you. Maybe you should stay there for a while while we help you work out the skills for how to handle it. Babusha finished. Do you have
2: somebody live in a bush? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. You're on.
8: Hi, Reverend Warwick Jacobson. Hi, Reverend Russell. How are you? Thank you so much. Hello for this it's The reunion is there. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take a break now.
0: That's right.
2: No,
8: he's got it. He's got it. We got it.
2: Go, go. He's here. Go. Okay. okay. Um,
3: so so going, going back to, back to the. Read,
8: read to get some water. Oh, for sure. For sure. Going back we to slept
2: the him out of bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let the man get a cup of water. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Going back to conference,
1: Right?
8: Yes, of course.
1: Of course. Looking
4: forward.
8: We're
1: bringing a big <coughs> thing. Second, second. Mr. I want you to answer this question. I'm asking ask you a question. You ready? Yeah. How important is it for parents to come to Kashanachi that have little struggle, any type of struggling teen, How important is it for to come?
8: Very, very important. Whatever spectrum of teen you have, I call this a chinuch shabaton. Nothing to do with necessarily struggling teens. It's chinuch for all parents. Yeah.
1: Sorry, continue
8: with your question. Thank you. Okay, um, so back to the sixty percent. Um, we learned all the things that uh, Rabbi Russell has taught me for sure, and I listened to a lot of speeches from Rabbi Wara Jacobson. And we're following the Mahalach with the mainstream child who's in the regular Mosad. I, I heard everything that you know went on till now. At the end of the day, we're not changing. We're trying to change, but we're not. We can't. As the parents, our our responsibility is the children. We're not going to change the Mosad. We're not going to change the way the yeshiva system runs. And when we have a child that's doing well in the mainstream, Baruch Hashem, we want to keep them in mainstream. The kids that we saw couldn't handle it. We took them out and we put them in amazing, amazing yeshivas that have helped them. But now we have a a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grader who's in the regular um, mainstream mesifta or elementary school. And we're giving them the resilience. We're giving them the four S's. But at the end of the day, they're still encountering, when they go to yeshiva, the things that you have discussed at the beginning of the show. We can't change the manahel. We can't change a lot of the rebellion. Is it enough, what we give them, if we continue to, when they come home broken or hurt from something a manahel did? or, Or something in the system with the tracks being that you're saying, you know, the top 10%, or the reward system, or that hierarchy of the three levels that Rabbi Russell mentioned earlier, We can't control that. So if we give them the Danish for 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 getting up and going to minion, or if we give them the going out to eat, is that going to be enough when they get hurt by something that a banal does? At the end of the day, we can't knock the system to them because that's not healthy either. We want to we want to show them that we respect the system, but sometimes the system is doing these things that are hurting them. What other suggestions do you have for parents?
4: Well, there's no question. You know, when I first <clears throat> when I first Reverend Why Why, is okay if I take this one? Okay, when I first saw um, in uh, Dan Singles, Dan Siegel's book, the four S's. When I first discovered that, it blew my mind.
1: Please explain it again, because not everybody knows it. Sorry, please. Oh, so
4: first of all, everyone should get Dan Singles book, uh, "Parenting from the Inside Out," and not just read it once, but read it twice or three times until you get it. Everyone should read that book, Parenting from the Inside Out by Dan Siegel. Uh, when I read the book, it validated so much of what I believed and what I was watching and seeing clinically with my clients. And one of the things I loved the most when I saw the four S's there, I've taken it and I use it frequently because I see it, you know, he mentions it almost like in passing. It's very interesting. It doesn't make a big fuss out of it. But um, I do make a big fuss out of it, um, although the credit goes to him for where I first saw it. Um, the four S's and the four S's, that I call them, of resilience, safe, secure, seen, and soothed. That means we as parents have to create the ability in our children to be resilient. That means to go through life and life's knocks and ups and downs and difficulties and struggles and problems we can actually create resilience in our children so that when they finally get through this whole thing, they will come out healthy. And the four, the, the, at least the way I approach it, the, the simplest, most direct model I've used with my clients over the years and in my drushes is, is this model of safe, secure, seen, and soothed that we have to make sure our children feel safe. Safe, Safety, partial safety. We're not going to scream and yell at them and get angry with them and beat them and threaten them and intimidate them. We're going to love them. We have to make sure they feel safe in the home environment, safe to tell us about their struggles, safe to tell us about their exposure to the world, and things they've seen and experienced that are throwing them off, that they can feel safe with us to share with us who they really are, and they're not going to see an angry face or a frustrated look on their parents' face, but they're going to be embraced and loved and appreciated for their honesty. Children need to feel secure in their home with their parents' love for each other. They need to feel secure that the, the, the security of a Shabbos table, the predictability, that the Shabbos table is a nice place to be at. It's warm and inviting. It's healthy. It's predictable. And yontif is nice, and there's not this discomfort before Yontov getting yontif ready it makes it, that makes them insecure about life. They have to be secure about who they are and our belief in their inevitable maturity. They will inevitably mature, grow up, and be healthy human beings. Children have to be seen. We have to notice who they are. We, have, we can't just like be mechanist the kids. Get the kids in the car, get the kids in bed. Let's get the kids, kids to the park, the kids, kids to the kids. We can't do that. We have to convey to our children that we thought about and recognize their unique qualities and talents, God-given, unique qualities and talents, and that we rejoice in those talents and we reflect them back to our children so they know that we see it and they are seen for who they are not for who we want them to be, or not because of who we think our Masurah says they should be, but for who they are. They need to know we see them. And they need to be soothed that when they get hurt, whether it's a little kid falling off a tricycle, or it's a kid getting bullied at school, or getting yelled at by the Manal, that they can rely on the fact that our first reaction to them in this generation today Is that we soothe them. Not like when we went to school, if we got hit by a teacher, you dare dare not tell your father because he'll whack you for getting hit. You got hit, boom, don't get hit again. This generation today, that's risks. In this generation, the first thing you do is soothe them. You say how hard that must have been for you. What a difficult experience that must have been. And afterwards, if you have to discover and discuss with them how it happened and what happened, do that later. Do that a few hours later. Wait till they come to you. But your job is to soothe them. And if you do safe, secure, seen, and soothed, read the book. You'll get all the information there, Parenting from the Inside Out. But if you make your kids feel that at home, chances are your kids will be resilient and that despite the ups and downs of life, they will inevitably mature into healthy people as they matriculate to become young adults.
1: Okay, So let's, let's get into one other topic over here now. <clears throat> I'm, okay? I know we're running late. I want to try to cover a few more, okay? Yeah. Let's get into the topic of unconditional love, right? We hear yeah. a great deal about unconditional love, the obligation, the responsibility parents have regarding their children. With all this to con- concur, my question is what do we do? We hear very little about the children's obligation towards the parents. From child's aware that you know the mitzvah kiwim, right? There's a lot of emphasis. So basically, my question is relevant. The mitzvah is that basically I want my children to like be, you know, to understand what it is. Like unconditional love, masking, but what about a myself? Keep it
4: Okay, so this is this is a um, a sentiment. Um, that's still held strong by a lot of people, <clears throat> that's based on a previous generation's relationship towards the parent-child relationship. The reality in today's generation, which is what's relevant to us, is if you do safe, secure, seen and soothed. if we actually are interested in caring for our kids, in tuning in to who they are, if we go out of our way to be Muhammad, our kids and respect them properly and understand them properly, they will naturally respect and love us too. Whereas if we spend our children's childhood constantly questioning, constantly doubting, constantly fixing them, then we actually communicate to our kids that there's something wrong with you and our kids will separate from us, and they're not going to be as properly. I'll tell you this, Rabbi Gamliel Rabunovitch, Shlita, in safe at now I'm just telling you what he writes, so I'm allowed to say this, because he wrote it, I didn't say this, he said this, I want it to be clear, I'm just saying over what he said, but in, and he wrote, and it's published, Rabbi Gamliel Rabunovitch, says in Tivar a whole piece about the respect from Avram and Yitzhak as they went to the Akedah. Now Avram tuned in, Avram Avinu tuned in sensitively to Yitzhak. And he has a whole treatise on that part of era about being sensitive to children. And over there he says the following, that his mother, he quotes his mother, I believe, I believe it was nine or ten generations, Yerushalmi, his mother, he says, my mother, my teacher. He says, my mother used to say this over all the time. This is Rabbi Gamliel Rabinovich saying over his mother's mainra that she was 10 generations to show And she said, if Tyra was, dear, it's a militia. Rabbi Say, she wasn't changing Tyra. This is a malitsa. This is like an expression, an idea that she, she said, If Torah was given today, it would have said in it, Mechabed, your son and your daughter. Because the biggest today is that children do not feel respected, and that's why they don't respect us back. But if we respect our children and we tune into their struggles, their experience of life, their Nisyanus, if we teach them about Nisyanus, if we teach them about the inevitable struggles of in life, and we tune in without judgment and criticism to their experiences, and they realize we are here simply to help you, then our children will be and We don't have to give drushes about aim because it's teva, it's nature. They respect us because they admire us and they love us and you don't ever have to mention it ever. I can tell you that I have some of my children, and we've been through all sorts of struggles in our family, and I know that some of my kids feel this way. And I don't think once in my entire life I've ever demanded respect from any of my children. And yet they're incredibly nice and respectful towards me. The
2: So here's my question. For this 60% <laughs> For this 60% of boys and girls, if I'm a father or a mother, a teacher, but especially parents, how do you identify that there's an ongoing trauma which, as you said, may not be dramatic? It's not necessarily sexual abuse or violent physical or emotional direct abuse, which could also be, of course. But it could be a kid exposed to pornography in fifth grade, right, or sixth grade, which affects their puberty and creates trauma. It could be learning trauma, it could be just feeling like a loser. If I may add, it could be because of deeply spiritual and sensitive children who have deeper souls, right? And therefore feel much more pain. Uh, the Arizal and the Balatanya and the Vilna Gaon discuss souls that are traumatized by existence, by the tzimtzum, by the fact that Hashem's uh, infinite presence is not manifested. That also could be for a sensitive soul, can also be deep trauma. There's also intergenerational trauma, right? Epigenetics. We may be carrying the trauma of 2,000 years. So I'm a parent. How do I begin to identify that my child... It's easy.
4: It's very easy. It's like I said before, it's very easy. You see, all we have to do is pay attention. Just pay attention. And you notice, what you notice is the rough edges. You see a kid who's... You know, are they really davening? I'm not sure they're actually davening. Are they really benching? Uh, I don't think so. You know, you can see a kid. The 20%, their relationship to Yadus, to Torah Mitzvahs, is Azevi, Mini, gedolim and Sidkanias. It's amazing to watch. They just, like, are so tuned in naturally. Watch the 60% in contrast, and you'll see you know, his rashness, a weakness in their relationship to Torah mitzvahs, and that his rashness, instead of looking at it as was, was done always, midayadayas, was looked at as a lack of midas, a lack, you know, as longas, recognized today has almost nothing to do with that at all. But what's really happening is that you, you're looking at a child who doesn't feel known. A child has to feel known. They have to be known by their parents. That means, look, the Goan says, pidaka." right? k'neged We have to go with Mazot, says the Goan, right? You have to go with mazolot. That means like this. Chinuch cannot occur unless we reach inside our children to work out what is mazolot well, vativai. who is he? What's his nature? What's her nature? You cannot take a framework from your own childhood, a picture that you feel either threatened by the mostness they in and or threatened by your own previous generational struggles, and try to create a template and force it on a child that this is who you have to be. That is a guaranteed way to destroy a child's life. What we're meant to do is look inside. What is mazolo Vativo? Who are you? By the way, mothers know this. I never trusted mothers. I was mistaken. I was wrong. You know, I was wrong. I had all my theories. I was dead wrong. But, you know, mothers know when you change a diaper, they already know that there's something different in this child, to the other child. Mazolu vativay is different. Some babies lie there and just let their diapers be changed and they're cooing and ooing. And some, you need like five people holding the baby down just to change the diaper. And all sorts of different ones in between. Our children are all different. We have, If you don't know what mazolu vativay, what's their nature, and you like the Gorn says, and you're simply machrichay, you force them. Into a picture that exists in your head of who you think they should be, well, then you failed in chinuch, and chances are your kid will go off, and you'll notice the edges, the struggles, the the insensitivity towards areas and torah mitzvahs early on in life. You'll see it very early in life. Those insensitives, sensitivities are not midas issues. They're actually a reflection. Of a child's nishama that's not being reached, felt, connected with. What we have to shift to as parents is being interested in knowing. The word is to know our child. My child craves to be known for who they are by me, their parent. And I have to make the effort to know them and then to reflect back to them that which I see and now know and help them be the best Jewish, healthy human being they can be now that I know who they are. The simonim of the lack of little bit of sneers or the lack of davening or getting up, you know, for davening or or benching or whatever, those little simonim help me tune in to understand who is my child in order that I can reflect that back to them, reach them, help them feel safe and help create resilience. What are
2: practical tools that you would give a father and a mother to create this type of deep relationship, to give them the resilience that they could bounce back despite pain, despite their own challenges? Practical tools. If I'm a father, I come to you and say, help me. What
4: should I do? Look, the first tool for most people, is to recognize that whenever you ever approach your children, ever, needing to say anything to them about any subject, whether it's tire whether it's, you know, going to bed or brushing your teeth, ask yourself, does my body language, facial expression, and tone of voice convey to my child that I unconditionally love you? Because if it doesn't, then everything else is a waste of time. Everything else is a waste of time. You have to, we have to own up as parents that many of us were children of Holocaust survivors. Many of us were children from the war or, or grandchildren from Holocaust survivors. We're grandchildren, we, 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 we're children, grandchildren and great-grandchildren from trauma. And we have to realize that our first reaction Frequently, to the challenges and problems of our children, is a drawn face, a frustrated look, a disappointed, sad look, a, a tightening of the eyes. Tsar, a you know, Tsar, tightening of the eyes, you know. The bud, a sigh, you know. <sighs> Russell,
1: you know, Russell. Yes. Can I pause you for a second? I don't know. Okay. Right, can I jump into a live question It's going to tie into what we're talking about now? Please. Okay, you're on.
0: Thank you. I was wondering as somebody who is still in my trauma, and I want to be able to give all this to my child, but I'm not yet fully aware of my own unconditional love that I never received or stuff, all these skills that I am not yet so well versed in. And my child is struggling. How can I give my child the skills when I don't yet have them myself?
4: Can I answer your question? Yes. So the answer, the answer is this. First of all, kala to you that as a parent you can be brave and honest enough to recognize and embrace that. Kala because it's not our kid's fault that their parent is a child of traumatic experiences in their own life where they've not recovered. So I would say two things. One is make it a Chayv kadish to take care of that yourself. Go get help. And Go can I help. do
0: that even without a spousal yes.
4: support? Yes. Yeah. Look, I, I, I this within the context and framework of this program, it's hard to tell everyone individually whether you can or can't. That I can't tell you. But I can tell you that if you can, you should. And if you're not sure if you can, go speak to someone and work it out. How are you going to get the help you need? And in the meantime, get help to find the right language to communicate to your kids that I myself am still struggling. I myself am still struggling. And I'm trying my hardest to overcome what I grew up with. Don't be afraid to share that with your children. They'll actually respect you more, not less. Right, so my second
0: part of that was how much to share with a healthy boundary.
4: Work that out with your therapist. I, I don't want to do that publicly because it's actually different for every person, but go get a professional to help you work out exactly how to do that so you can share what's necessary with your children so they can understand what's happening. And at the same time, they'll see how sincere you are about healing your own stuff, which will give them inspiration to heal theirs eventually. Get help, get help. We owe it to our kids. We simply owe it to them. Usha, another question.
2: Well, what, sure what she just brought out, this brave young woman, was I think, opens us up to a very serious question, and that is. So many of our responses to our children are coming from our trauma, Tati's trauma, mommy's trauma, which means Tati and mommy also don't have much choice. Their choices are so narrow and limited. They're also trying to survive, just like the 12-year-old Tati, who's 50 or 40 or 30, is also trying to survive. So this guy is screaming or getting angry or smiling or whatever he's bribing and he's completely traumatized. <laughs> and his chinuch is from trauma. He doesn't even know it. On the contrary, he goes to his rav or mashpia or CBT therapist and they have long conversations and they tell him, learn more musr or start Yoimi, or go to minyan for mincha or do more mitzvahs. And he means well. But his wife says something the next Shabbos and he loses it. The poor guy is a trauma victim and he doesn't know it. And learning Masilus Yasharim, which is an amazing thing, is not his problem. His problem is not information. His problem is trauma.
4: Yes. So so first of all, you know that in the last year we opened a From Trauma Recovery Workshop in Detroit. Fresh Start. You can look it up. www.fsrc.com, I think, or .org, or .org, I'm sorry, I forget. I'm the direct, one of the directors there. I forget their website. Ursha you'll, you'll send it out. But yes, they're, they're, you, there's you heard a
1: famous line from somebody, Robert Russell, once, But all yeah. this, Osha. Okay, I heard this. Tell me, tell me if you ever heard this line. Everybody goes through a lot, and it's, taka, you have, it's not your fault. 100% it's not your fault, but it's your... Obligation. It's your responsibility. responsibility.
4: I wonder who said that, right? It's your responsibility. We have to realize it is not our fault. No one asked to be traumatized. No one, you know, we're slowly recognizing the role of trauma in so much of our parenting and our lives and our reactions and responses. We opened a fresh start to try and help people with that. We have Kesha Nafshi to try and help people with that. We have so many mahalchim today to that are recognizing that it's not anyone's fault, but it is our collective responsibility to take responsibility, to repair our trauma so that we can love. Uh, someone threw it up there. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, that we need, to, uh, we need to recognize that. And we've got to work on it and be humble about it and honest about it. And at the same time, on, you know, as I said before, we have to embrace. nisyanis a part of our lives. Shem put us in this world to go through Nisyanus. And through Nisyanus we grow. As I, um, many people who know me well know the uh, probably one of the first, I don't know, Chassidish I said. I'd like to say it's a chassid, why, why Can I say it? A good Hasidic word is where you put the comma. Am I right or wrong? You change the comma and you got a Hasidic word. So I said this vote, and it's uh, rung true for me my whole life. And I know people resonate from it. We talk about Sar Giddle bonim, the pain of bringing up our children. And I have humbly and honestly recommended we move the comma. Sar comma... In the tsar of my giddle of me growing up, that pain of me fixing myself will come through the challenges I have with my children. If my children witness that's my approach to it, then I make them feel safe and I make them feel secure and they love and respect me because they see I'm working on me, I'm trying to overcome my problems, my issues. And I hope I can inspire them by being a role model. I hope I can be the role model by working on me and fixing my issues. That I can be a true model, role model, which is a thousand million times better than drushes and mussa and criticism. That's gone. That KUFA's gone. That train has gone out the station. That ship has sailed. It's gone. The only inspiration we're going to give to our children today is when they recognize that we embrace our struggles humbly. We look at our own humbly, and they see us working on it. They see us trying to overcome our own issues so we can love and embrace them and help them properly. That's the inspiration that will keep our kids from. Not drushes, not Musa. Not lectures about Messiah, not more and more yelling, angry comments about Shmira and the internet and they remember. That's not going to keep our kids from. What's going to keep our kids close to us and close to our Messiah is when they see the inspiration for us as true role models, humbly and honestly being willing to face our own chesonis, our own flaws, and work them through. It doesn't matter how old we are. Just keep working them through. When our children witness and see that, that will keep them close to us and close to al Messiah. All the rest is Havel havalim. It's all Yed It's all stories from the past. It's not relevant to the present. We have to be a role model of working on ourselves. We have to communicate to our kids that I want to know you. And when I see your flaws and Chisoyness, it's so I could learn you better to see if I can help you and that I abandon just trying to fix you and fix you and fix you as if you're some sort of inconvenience to my life. You're not. You're my precious child. You're my B'need Bechari Yisrael. I don't care if you get to Memteh Shaitunah. I'm there for you. That's why I brought you in this world. That's what my Chayv Kaddish is. Rosh, sure, i got to go.
1: Robert well, Russell, tonight was like off the charts, like beyond. Are you okay? Yeah. Was it too much tonight, <laughs> Rip Shiman?
2: Before before we let you go, before we emancipate you, <laughs> yes. And we let you go. What you just said was very, very powerful. You just said that real education of children is about self-awareness and self-education. That's really what it's about. It's knowing my own triggers when my son comes into the kitchen. Of course. And that father who says many fathers wrote, mothers wrote. I'm allergic to this child. I'm allergic. I go crazy. I can't look at him. He's such a disappointment. And you're saying, no, no, no. You're a disappointment to yourself. You haven't worked out your own, your own uh, rubbish. But your we own all power.
4: have it. We all have our rubbish and we have to work it He's close. just
2: triggering. He's just giving you an opportunity to go deeper into your own pain and childhood wounds. The Baal says everybody's a mirror. He's your mirror.
4: That's right. Tsar Giddle, comma Bonnet. bonnet. Tsar of my giddel will be through right. my children.
2: So I have to tell you, a parent wrote to me that they came to you. <laughs> I had to clarify this because people get very upset. And they told you the following story. This is my last question. Their 14-year-old or 13-year-old is demanding a phone, a smartphone, day and night, incessantly, and they are frightened because we all know what smartphones are even for adults. They're all addicted to it. <laughs> and you asked the mother or the father, is she going to get it anyway without you? They said, yeah, in six months, probably three months, two months. You know, she's smart. She's brilliant. Everybody gets whatever they want. You know, you can't put them in a prison. So you said the relationship is more important than everything. If they're going to get it anyway, you get it so that they could be connected to you while having the phone, rather than having the phone and hating you. And this person says, how does a frum therapist, knowing what uh, a smartphone is, tell parents literally to give, what do you call test shari tuma to give this gun, this weapon to, to their daughter and he's not even ashamed of it. Sorry for my blunt question. Instead of you telling the mother, you tell the girl, no, no, you want me to give you poison? You want me to give you some amavas? And knock in my house? She wants to buy it? Let her destroy herself. I'm not going to destroy my kid.
4: So I'll tell you something I've learned over the years. I dash and frequently, both publicly and privately, about the dangers of the internet, in particular pornography, how it destroys people's lives. I see it with kush I see it in my office. I see it with so many hurt young men and women who get really damaged. And it's really hard to repair that damage from pornography. It creates fantasies and illusions that can never occur in real life. Leaves people lost and longing for something that can never happen and never will, and they feel empty forever. Especially when the programming was done from a very young age, I dash in vehemently against it. And what I've come to understand is that as damaging as that is, losing a relationship with your parents over that is worse the disconnect from angry parents who fight and fight and fight over that is a greater damage to the long-term survival of your child than even pornography, which is horrendous, horrendous, that damage is worse.
2: Because because it's the connection that can ultimately heal the
4: addiction. There's only one way our kids will stay close, if at all, to Torah Mitzvahs and yadus. struggling this There's only one way, which is, is they want to be close to us, their parents, because they received love and kindness of Messiah from us. And if there's any chance of them keeping it, that's why in this day and age, in this day and age, don't now, that's the only chance you have that they'll want to keep it, and to lose and sacrifice your relationship over a futile fight, which you lost anyway, because they're going to go and get it anyway. Rather than saying to them, Shafala, it's very, very dangerous, but I know you need it. We're talking about where the kid, I'm not saying you wake up one morning and announce to all your children, we're giving you smartphones. We're talking in a case where the kid was already severely rebellious and wanted this and needed this and was going to get it anyway. Imagine the difference in the relationship healing when the parent says, I understand your need. I'm with you. I'm with you. And you reinforce that relationship of love and understanding. Chances are your kids sooner or later will say, Ta, take this away from me. I know this is bad. I can't do this. Please take it from which they do, by the way. Mashainkane, the risk of losing your relationship. There is nothing more damaging to your child's future than losing their relationship with you. It is in, it, it is indescribably worse than pornography, which is about as bad as bad gets. Losing relationship with parents is worse. So sometimes
2: you're saying the parent is obligated if they have any sechel and any
4: emotion, course, to go and purchase. Of that course, don't structure. we give don't we give poisons to children that we happen to call them drugs, medication, morphine? We go and get prescription medication, which are poisons, and we give them to our kids when they're sick, and we give them to each other when they save sick. their life. To save their life. What is the difference? Sometimes you got to give poison to save the relationship. Of course. What's the difference? That's how we're going to save them. By them seeing, I care for you and love you and understand you. And I want to help you. But for this, the father
2: and mother have to understand that this kid is not a bad kid. They're not making bad choices.
4: (laughs) They are broken. They're broken. They're trying to survive. So you should actually be proud of them. You should of be course. proud of them. They want to survive. They don't want to die. Now I have to ask
2: you a personal favor. You said a story in Measurebush about something yeah. that happened before one of your children's chuppah. Would you share that with us or you don't want to? I don't mind. And then you say goodbye. You could say goodbye to us. Thank you. I've got to get
4: Reverend going. Reverend Russell, I you want mind.
1: that to be Russell. Should we that for your closing? We're going to wrap it up and we'll say that. That's story. the closing. This Can is my closet. Okay, so also, let me this. just wrap it up. Let me just wrap it up. Give me
4: one minute,
1: okay? Okay. Okay. First of all, Grishya chef tonight's show was off the charts. My phones, everything is ringing here, dinging from all sides. Rabbi Russell, next level. Rabbi Yaiyai. So, Grishya Russell, Rabbi Yaiyai, coming on, and I give a tremendous chizuk. I and have now. to
2: just say, my I was just asking the kashas, so I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Thank I,
4: you. I had vacation tonight,
1: Russell. I feel safe <laughs> in I feel safe in your company. <laughs> so that's for coming on again tonight. Share learning, I said as I said we weren't on before. I said I'm not coming to Kesher because my daughter's getting married. a chus for them. All the thousands, thousands of people that are in And again, I'm going to say this again and again. I'm not. I, I can't say with more, more clarity that if anybody could come to Kesher please come. Rabbi Russell could vouch. Everybody could vouch. And of course, we're making millions of dollars over here. <laughs> but we're not doing it for that because it's really a Shabbos that will Nobody, nobody
2: makes a penny. Nobody makes a penny from this Shabbaton. Only Chavos.
1: Only <laughs> exactly. That's so what they, they make. Shabbos. I promise you. It's, I, it's well, January
2: friends, 1st, right? What well, the date yeah, of the yeah, Shabbos is?
1: Yeah, December 30th through, through 30th. January through yeah. December 30th through January 2nd. Anybody can come for that Shabbos. I guarantee you. All my friends I brought the last few times. They're all going back, and they, they look forward to it. It's a life-changing Shabbos on every level. So please, please join. It's something that will be, I promise you, next level. And if not, Rabbi, why, why we'll refund you. And anybody wants to join the, our, our WhatsApp chat, the flyers, please WhatsApp me at 848 525 and say my number, and I'll send you every week the flyer. Again, every Sunday at 930 and this Zoom ID, we have Meru Next week, December 26th, we have Rebchil Spiro and Dr. El Spiro. We're talking about, are we really good parents? how to create close relationships with our children. So I think it's going to lead straight from tonight's conversation, straight into that conversation. It's going to be unbelievable, so please join. Everything is recorded. It'll be on com. If anybody has any questions for Rabbi Russell or Rabbi Y.Y., please email com. A lot of people are asking for Rabbi Russell's email address. Please email us. We'll forward him the emails, and uh, he'll get back to you, hopefully, within, as soon as he could. Tonight's sheer 83. Rabbi Russell, sheer 83. Wow. You came on sheer Five by the way, the first yeah. time. And if anybody wants to listen to the share on the phone, it's 848 777 Grow. Thank you to Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Annab Khazak, Kyla Kaufman, and to um, Col Mika Sofer. Let's get a closing statement from Rabbi Russell, and then Rabbi Russell you could sign off. And then Rabbi YY, I want you to encapsulate after all your Shilas, I want to hear a good, good closing. So, okay,
4: okay, so I'm just going to make one short comment in response to what uh. Rabbi Waiwai asked me a question and I'll share a story, but then I have to run. So please okay. forgive me. Um, but uh, my eldest daughter took me into this pasha of struggling teens. And uh, we went through a difficult challenge for many years. Eventually, after lots of painful ups and downs, Rachemsh Hashem, got married to a wonderful, wonderful young man. At her chasna, right before they brought her, she went out to the uh, reception, I got a message, she wanted to speak to me. And I went to the uh, room where she was waiting, beautiful, with a, dress, a gown, holding two tissues forward as she cried through these tissues. And I was worried, maybe she changed her mind. I don't know what happened here. But she said she has to speak to me. And I came in and she said the words to me, Tati, I have to ask Mechila from you for what I put you through. And the Rabbi Shalom gave me the right response, which I've tried to live my life by. And I said to her, you don't have to ask Mechila because you gave me much more than you took from me. As parents, we have to see that. And if we see the challenges they give us, help us grow, that they give us more than they take from us. If we can get ourselves into that place, then the chances are we're going to have a loving relationship and help them as best we can in this world by helping ourselves grow. That has to be the bottom line for all of us. Thank you very much. I'm going. Rabbi Waiba, we'll see you soon. Take care, oh, yeah. Bush.
1: Take care. Thanks,
2: thanks so bye. much. Thank you on behalf of you. everybody. Bye-bye. Al-Mamlachtan. <laughs>
1: Okay, now you've come from the from the question from the question guy to the to the Drusha guy. Let's go, Rabbi, why. <laughs> now that now that we grilled Rabbi Russell, let's go, let's get to the bottom line, let's get to the closing. You do have to realize
2: I just wanna say that it's twelve fifteen AM and I believe between Zoom and the yeshiva.net and other platforms, we have close to fifteen hundred people. And many of them are couples, so so, there's thousands of people who are with us after midnight, I just want to say. And I think it demonstrates two things. Number one, how special Jewish parents are. There's a reason we're here 4,000 years later because of our parents, our grandparents, our great grandparents, and their mysterious Snefesh. Number two, how important it is to have these open and honest conversations of self awareness, of inner growth. And as Kip Shimon said, understand our Nisiyonis, understand our challenges. But I'm going to leave you with a final message. And I just want to bring out, I want to bring out three very, three powerful, potent, and relevant points. Number one, just an illustration of what we heard all night about Chinuch based on Connection on helping the child realize their indispensable value. I read this in Shruley, my friend Rabbi Sral Besser's book on Rabbi David Shrank. You saw, just love them. In Adelphia, in the yeshiva in Adelphia, he said Rabbi Shrank once came into a dormitory room and there was a bacher smoking, a young boy. The policy was, you weren't allowed to smoke in the dormitory. He was caught red-handed. What do you do? What do you do? You're the principal, or you're the Rebbe, the Russian Yeshiva, and he's smoking. You know what he did? He said, listen, you're not supposed to smoke in Yeshiva. You did something wrong. But I also did something wrong. I came into your bedroom without permission. I violated your boundaries. That was disrespectful. Okay. So we're going to do this all over again. <laughs> I'm going to correct what I did. I'm closing the door. I wasn't supposed to open the door. And I'm coming back in five minutes. You understand what happened here? He didn't change the rules in yeshiva. He didn't say you're a lot of smoke. But he gave the boy his dignity. With humor, with tact, with sensitivity. Most importantly, it's about a relationship. It's not, a, oh, I caught you, I caught you, out, out you're not a heftzer, you're a gavra, And he used to say, the Gemara says, hagba koina. The greatest kinyin is Hagbah. you lift it up. You want to be koina a child, a bocher, a girl, hagba, you have to lift them up. You lift them up, you're kaina. I think that's number one. Number two, what I want to say is, I think it's so, so important to understand two things. Number one, the Chayza of Lublin quotes Reb Zush of Anapali. Reb Zush of Anapali says, listen to this, the Mishnah at the end of Saita says, Mashiach, before Mashiach comes, Yirei chait masu. We will become disgusted with people who fear sin. Literally it means the world will become so degenerate and unethical they're going to be most with people who are Yirei Chait." The seer of Lublin quotes Rabbi Zusha of Anipali, the great, great spiritual master, the of Zusha, whose yard site will be soon in a few days. And he said that he said, before Mashiach comes, Yire Hate Jews will not be able to tolerate a relationship with Hashem that's only based on negativity and stress and anxiety and fear. Yire Khaiti They're gonna need a relationship that is based on fusion, and love, and oneness. Yerushalayim, yes, but Yerushalayim has to be based on the connection, the deep, infinite relationship that Hashem wants with every Jew. And that's what we're seeing today. People are asking, but Russell said, the only way you'll keep them with Torah and Mitzvahs is if they feel the connection. Why? Why? What's wrong with imposing on them this is the truth, whether you like it or not? There comes a time before Geula, that Hashem wants the deepest type of relationship. Not Eirisin, the Medrash says, but Nisoyin. V'hoyu arechat, fusion. The Medrash Shabbat says in Parchas, boy, till Mashiach comes as Eirisin. You're married to Hashem, but you're still not living in the same house. It's like in the olden days, there was Eirisin, you got married, and then 12 months later there was Nisuyan. You made a chuppah, you moved in together. Mashiach comes as Nisuyan, intimacy. That's what we need today. And the final point I want to make is I think what we're seeing a lot today is if I'm not mistaken, the Navi says in the Neil, that in the time of the Gaula the end of Galus everything that was repressed is going to come out in the open. And the reason for that is so that we could clear it up and create a world inside of ourselves and around us that is completely Integrated with Hashem. And I think what we're seeing now is a lot of things are coming up in the youth, in young people, adults. As I said earlier, it's not just trauma of what happened to your child at home or school. Your child may have had the best upbringing. But you know what? It may be thousands of years of trauma that our genes are carrying in epigenetics. And before the gula comes, it's coming out trauma, the wounds, the anxiety, besides experiences that we have that may be difficult. And we have some very great and deep and spiritual souls that are feeling the pain of existence and can't deal with any form of hypocrisy, including the hypocrisy represented by a world that eclipses the truth of Einoid Mulvadeh, that Hashem is everything. And they are feeling that pain and it's coming out and it's driving us crazy. But the purpose is not to run away from it to look at it, to confront it, to embrace it, to have compassion for it, and to realize that this is an opportunity to be able to cleanse ourselves from all the toxicity that alienates us and eclipses our deepest truth that we are not trauma victims. We are a chilek eleikam imal mamish. Our bodies and our souls are divine. When your child is bringing out and triggering these things in you, It's an opportunity for the ultimate healing. And finally, I just want to say to everybody who's here we need each other's support. We need each other's inspiration. We don't have a solution to all the problems. But what we could do is we could be here, be here with each other, love each other, support each other, not judge each other. (laughs) As the Hasidic masters say, when things happen at the end of days, hey we have to come together to be able to unite, to be able to connect. And the last Possek that we read yesterday was, Yosef died and he was placed in a casket in Mitzrayim. And we screamed, chazak, chazak, Why? Because the fact that the Jews knew, Yaakov went away from Mitzrayim. Yaakov represents the person who can give you solutions on how to get out of the mess. Yosef is the one who says, I'm with you. I'm with you in Mitzrayim. And when you know that Hashem is with you in the struggle, in the challenge, with every single child, we have the resources. Thank you.
1: Roy, thank you.
2: Thank you, everybody, for joining tonight. It was Rabbi YY. Better, better than I thought. Next level. Thank you to B'asher. Thank you, Coach Menachem, for creating the, the tent, Avramovinu's tent, open from all four sides. That means anybody that comes from any angle... Right, we don't close doors. Avraham Avinu's tent allowed everybody to come in. You come from Mizra, Khmer of Durham, Tzofen, YouTube,
1: yeshiva.net, Zoom, wherever
2: Lakewood, there. Muncie, Cron Borough Park,
1: Golders Green, <coughs> Ayatollah,
2: Kiryu Safer, Gateshead.
1: Ever else, Ever, why, why? Like, do you know what anybody's wearing on jobs? Yes or no? He's wearing a Strymol, he's wearing a Bekash, he's wearing a hat.
2: You got every type over there, You got every type.
1: Is it Gornish? No, you don't
2: see, you don't see it because once the vulnerability comes out, you know, it goes beyond the garments. It's a place where you can't afford to hang, to focus on clothes because
1: it's real. Let's get real. It's,
2: it's very, it's very real. It's very authentic. And when that happens, you know what I'll tell you. The real truth is the Shekhinah is there. Well, you know why? Because whenever the egos melt away and the insecurity melts away. And people's innermost truth and pain comes out, Hashem is always there. You see it. Huh? There's no blockages. No blockages. blockages. We're we're protecting them. Most conversations, I'm trying to impress you. I'm protecting myself. You know, again, I'm in a place where I have to protect myself. Over there, people feel the comfort to cry, to laugh. The laughing there is also much more powerful because you're free. You know, when you're free to cry, you're free to laugh. I would again encourage everybody. It's amazing for parents. Even if your children, Baruch Hashem, are uh, you know, doing well, but everyone could become better and deeper and more attentive, especially in our times with a lot, a lot of challenges. It's a great Shabbos for parents, especially if you're having a struggling child in any way. And you're struggling, you know? I I have seen how parents have really discovered there how to deal with their own pain because that's really what it comes down to. At the end of the day, After years and years of listening to people, you know, when Rav Shimon speaks about his daughter coming to him before the chuppah, it's really about you forgiving yourself for not having the nachas you expected. And instead of going into anger and rage and becoming defensive or aggressive, you can really have compassion for yourself, for your shattered dreams, and then you can have compassion for your child. And you just look at the situation from a higher, more refined, more spiritual perspective. You stop asking what your child can do for you. And you ask what Hashem wants for me at this moment. And everything changes. You don't ask anymore, but I want nachas, but I need him in this yeshiva, but I want a shidduch, but I need a seminary. But what are my neighbor going to say, and my uncle, and my aunt, and my brother, and my mechuten, and, and the, the kalah is coming tomorrow, and the sholom zocher they're going to see I got it. <laughs> we all like that. You, say, you know what? It's much deeper. What does Hashem really want at this moment?
3: Then well, every, the most powerful thing that happened
1: is somebody I would know that went there for Shabbos. The kid was sort of struggling a bit so, you know, on the lighter side. Let's put it that way. And they went there for Shabbos. They went back home and they just literally hugged and kissed their kid. They were so thankful yeah. that the kid is yeah, just yeah. a good kid, just needs a little TLC. Yeah.
5: Yeah. So they and changed some... the whole mindset.
1: Instead of saying, oh, his yarmulke is too small, yeah, his pants yeah, are too yeah. tight. Yeah. and he
2: comes home and he doesn't wake up for Shacharaz and he comes home for Shabbos and he comes late to Shul and he misses Kriya Satira. And, and you become obsessed with it and you're angry at your kid who's trying so hard and you're angry at them now they should be at Kriya Satayra I'm a chassid of Kriya Satayra every Jew should be at Kriya Satira. but
1: but how are you going to get him to Kriya Satayra not by being angry <laughs> I gotta end with one good joke and then it's 12.30 I gotta end with one good joke Bill? no I was in Shul some story many years ago.
2: Yeah.
1: And my friend was there with his kid. So the Zaydi comes, and he says, Stand by Zaidi by Moshe Emes, because I want to throw you out by Moshe Emes. The kid's five, six years old. He's running around. And the Zaydi looks for him by Moshe Emes. He's not there. He grabs the kid He says, You stand next to Zaidi, I'm going to give you a patch. And the f- thirty year old turns to the six year old and says, Tati, today's generation, I'm going to azoy, that we can give him a patch. He says, still? I'm going to give you a patch also. <laughs> I... <laughs> I, I,
2: I, it's funny, I do have to say, I do have to say, you'll forgive me, because this happened, this happened not so long ago, and it's, it was so powerful, you say the kid needs a little TLC, right, those were your words, the kid needs a little TLC, and let me tell you something, and the child who's completely alienated from you, needs TLC, in a more potent and more profound way. The child that's aggravating you most needs the most TLC. That's what we just heard a whole night. It's amazing. I want people to understand. He's a therapist for 32 years, okay? In Lakewood, when Lakewood was still much smaller, more tight, you know, I don't have to say, Lakewood, one of the most amazing, glorious Jewish communities in the world, and he says he never found a kid he never met a child who left Yiddish guide because of a classic Yitzhakara. What do you say? <laughs> he never met such a child. It's always a broken, the kid is broken. So that means the only way to deal with it is if you want to help him, you got to build him. You got to connect him. You got to lift him up. And when you tell him, you're a loser, you're a disappointment, you're going to get punished, you're disappointing Hashem, you're, you're there. You're actually causing him to leave Yiddishkeit even more. So I'm trying to give Moser to get him back, and what am I doing? I'm driving him away further. Now I'm guilty for the chilul Shabbos.
8: <laughs>
2: the guy who's trying to help is actually. So I'm just going to end with this story. I, I I went I went for a Shabbaton somewhere to a community, a beautiful community in the United States. A very big, beautiful yeshivish community. And I really like a lot of people, very special people, a lot of Bnei Torah, a lot of bali Tshuva. And I spoke at Shalashudas. And in the middle of the speech, I spoke about Yaakov's relationship with Yosef, which I often speak about, Vayim demuz Dumuzdi shel Yaakov aviv. The clips go around. And uh, the point was, you don't disconnect from your child, ever. Don't give up on your child. You remain connected forever, and that will help your kid. Like we discussed in the beginning of the Shia with Reuven and Yaakov and so forth. And I said, You just don't sever cords with your child. Don't sever cords. Do not make them feel unwelcome in your home, unwelcome in your life. Figure out things if they have to move on to find a job in another state. Okay, but no alienation. Chas A person comes over to me afterwards. He's crying. I see a middle-aged man, I don't know, 50, 60. He says, where were you 30 years, 35 years ago to give this speech? I said, 35 years ago I was eating cotton candy. Or whatever I was doing. He says, why didn't you give this speech 35 years ago? I said, I knew nothing about this 35 years ago. I still understand very little. I'm learning every day. I say, why? This is what he tells me. And I'm telling you, if there's something that breaks your heart, this was it for me. He says, 35 years ago, me and my wife were Balichuva. We discovered Yiddishkeit. We loved it. We had a boy who was already born earlier. He was a teenager. And he became firm with us, but he was struggling in the system very badly. And he was misbehaving. He was disobedient. And I went to somebody to consult him. What do I do? My kid, he's not listening, he doesn't want to fit in, he's not complying, he's violating everything. And you know what this person gave him advice? And I'm not judging him. He was giving the advice based on his own tools. He said, tell your son there's an ultimatum. If he shapes up, you love him. If not, he can't live in this house anymore. The house has standards, and you're going to change the locks. Because he has a key, he's going to change the locks. Not an ultimatum. And he says, what's going to happen if he says no? He says, of course he won't say no. He's going to run back. He'll leave for a week. He'll leave for a week. He's going to see how miserable the streets are. He'll come running back and everything will be good. He said, when I was a kid, I also ran away from my house for a few hours. And I came right back. You know, you run away. You ever ran away from your house for like 25 minutes? Until you got hungry and you came back, Right? This person says, he says, I was a baltruva. You want to fit in? You want to do the right thing? So what did I do? I called in my son. He was 16 years old. And I said, listen, these are the rules. This is our tradition. This is what we do. You know, if you comply, great. This is your house. If not, have a good day. Make a decision. And he says, my son did not comply. I changed the locks. He left 35 years ago. He says, 35 years I have not had a telephone call from my boy. I have not had a visit. My wife didn't have a telephone call from this boy. 35 years we didn't hear from him. A few years ago I heard from somebody who met him that he married out. He married a non-Jew. And he has a few non-Jewish children. 35 years I didn't hear from my boy. And then he looks at me and he says, Rabbi, why, why? And for 35 years I haven't slept one night, nobody knows that, but I have not slept one night for thirty-five years. So that's why I ask you: Why were you not here thirty-five years ago to give to give the speech? What I learned from that from here at that moment was I, I you know, I hugged this person. What can, what can I tell him? What can I tell him? But I realized when you have your child in your house, celebrate him, celebrate her, connect. Unconditional love. Unconditional pride. The novice says, Hashem says about every Jew, every Jew is created and represents me. And every Jew by his very existence brings out the infinity of Hashem. Every Jew is Somebody about Hashem says, I brag with this girl. I uh, boast. I boast with this child. If it's good enough for Hashem, good enough for you. Enjoy. Dance with your kids. Celebrate them. And if you're allergic to them, don't blame them. Then I have to do a lot of inner work and become a little deeper and a little more real and a little more divine. Thank you, chevra. Good night,
1: everybody. See you next Sunday. (laughs) Bye-bye.